you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a CastBox original produced in partnership with our friends at Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and all of your favorite podcasts are there right for the downloading. Sacred Symbols is available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts, and supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 46. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined by Bob Sledding enthusiast Chris Reagan. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. You're wearing a shirt today that's like kind of magenta, but kind of purple. I don't I, know what it is. I like it. It's nice. It's red-ish. It's more. Like, I don't know what it is. Crimson. Don't deny me my redness. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, fair enough. It's kind of like crimson. <laughs> it uh, is crimson. I would say, I would say that's accurate. It's a nice shirt, which is I, red, by the way. That is that's oh. true. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> so I learned I learned the uh, the color crimson when I was a kid because GI Joe, which was before your time, but they the bad guys had these soldiers called Crimson Guards, and they wore these red oh, outfits, yeah. and that's how I I learned it from uh, the Fairly Odd Parents. Oh, who I had a character that. named the Crimson Chin. It was a superhero, and he was voiced by Jay Leno for some reason. Oh, actually, well, because, not for some reason. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because of the chin. The yeah. chin thing. Well, Chris, appreciate you being here today. Of course. Hope everyone out there is doing well. I just got back from Boston last night. I was at a wedding. The weather wasn't very nice in Boston, which isn't a huge surprise, but it was good to be back in the city. I really don't like weddings. I got to be perfectly honest with you. I find them really uncomfortable, like socially uncomfortable. <laughs> what do you mean? Why? I don't know. I Especially when I don't Happiness. know anyone at them. You know, I don't I like I didn't really know anyone at this wedding, but just generally speaking, it's like a fusion of everything I don't really like yeah right? an obligation right a ceremony uh, yeah, dressing up dressing up yeah and, but then there's like you know the dancing and you're sitting with people you don't know and like everyone's making stilted conversation you, with each other like a wedding if it was like all people you knew yeah those weddings are better i i do like those weddings it was a very nice ceremony very nice people nothing no offense yeah, against nobody likes being anywhere where they don't know anybody right exactly it's so, like it's like being at a funeral where you don't know the person like ah i guess it's sad yeah, <laughs> yeah. i've never gone to a funeral for a person i didn't know so Oh, I've been to plenty. Really? You've no. been to plenty of funerals for people you, you I'm didn't know? I'm a funeral know? crasher, Colin. I oh, go to funerals and I You're I like mourn. the West Barrow Baptist. You're one of those people at the West Barrow, West Barrow Baptist <laughs> Church that holds the signs. <laughs> That's why you're going to all these things, you fucking bastard. Chris, you watched Lola I for did. me while I was gone. Now, I want to for know a little days. bit about, about your you know your journey together. I was curious about how it all went. It was entirely fine. She was uh, she was nice. She didn't she she barked every time somebody opened a door. Yeah, she thinks she owns every everywhere she is. Like, yeah, she got very. I went to a friend of mine's house with her, and uh, there were dogs present, and she got very jealous. Yes, and very growly. Really protective of like, you. Yeah, she pushed a dog off me. Really? Yeah, it was That's cool cute. though. But uh, she, no, she was great. She loves you, man. I, I think that she was happy to see me like really excited because you dropped her off here last night and then I came home like an hour later. Yeah. And she was excited, but I, I felt the depression inside of her, you know, <laughs> you could feel I it. felt the depression inside of her and she was so excited when she saw you today. So thank you for taking good care of her. Of course. We appreciate that. How was your sex party? I saw that you went to a little bit of a. All, uh, OK, alt, so, uh, sex so party. here's what happened. Yeah. I was invited to go out to a place called Bar Sinister, which is like, I guess, like a goth bar it's really cool but i guess at the same time they were doing in the venue next door they were doing the alt porn awards nice. which i still don't know what that means yeah and what i is wasn't alt? out there for it because right. i was drinking free drinks and that was all that's it that's all i remember i remember it was a crowd of people and i, I was like i don't know i, I was looking at your is. stories on instagram and uh, i all porn i guess to me would be like what suicide girls and kind of like all rock chicks and shit that's my assumption that's it's like tattoos and that's stuff it was hot. pretty it was pretty good it was pretty wild yeah i mean cool. i like i like not that kind of it porn wasn't as a well. sex party by the way it was just it was just i don't know oh well we'll call you it could, a sex you party. could you could make that case but it wasn't like you know we'll just say it was a sex party because it right, makes it more fair. interesting <laughs> But, you know, I must say that the, the the Instagram story made it seem quite intriguing. You know, I've never heard that term either, but I think I understood what it yeah. was because there is something, you know, really sexy about that. Those kinds of girls and the, the tattoos and the piercings yeah. and stuff like that that I really enjoy as well. But but I also like your classic traditional porn. Yeah. You standard. Know, your standard, your standard hot blonde, hot brunette, whatever the case <laughs> might be without, you know, the whole thing. So there, it's good that we have options. Yeah, I guess what I'm we saying. live in a free market. We do live in a. <laughs> some might say it's a little too free. I wouldn't say that, though. 
Speaking of free markets, Chris, just want to remind everyone that our merchandise is available. It's in the in the form of T-shirts. You can go to tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts. A lot of people have been buying the shirts. We really appreciate it. Actually, you guys have gone above and beyond in that regard. Remember, you can kind of customize the colors of your shirts, obviously the sizings and even the logos that you want, because my other uh, logos, the other shows that I do are available there. And remember, if you don't have the money, you simply don't have the desire to buy the merch. It's too much. I know some of you live in other countries that may or may not exist where there's a lot of, you know, fees and all of this kind of stuff when yeah. you get things shipped to you. So the logos are also available free of charge on patreon.com slash Collins last stand. You do not need to be a member to access the post over there. Download the logos to your heart cont- heart's content. Make your own stickers, make your own shirts, do whatever you want. I just ask that you don't make a profit or I'll come for you. Chris, Danny Atkinson wrote into us on patreon.com slash Collins last stand. Okay. Remember, Everyone can support us on patreon.com slash Collins last stand for early ad free access to every episode of the show, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas, exclusive podcasts and more. He wrote in all capital letters and no punctuation. Play Persona 5 or I will burn your house down. That's what he wrote in. Jokes on you. Uh, What's your name? Danny Danny. Atkinson. Jokes on you, Danny Ackerman or whatever the hell. Yeah, I don't have a house. I live in an apartment. So I do, too. So you're going to hurt a lot of other people and you will likely be sued, if not arrested. Yeah, you let's see. You used your I assume this is not a moniker of some sort. Danny Atkinson is your real name. Uh, I'm going to burn my own apartment down and then blame him. And blame Danny. That's (laughs) fucking sinister. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) Danny. Danny Garcia wrote into us and said, greetings and salutations to one of my favorite podcasting duos, duos out there. One of my. Yeah. What's the, what other what? podcast duo out there is anywhere near as good as us? I thought we were the only ones. I dare you to fucking I dare you to name a better podcasting duo. <laughs> Colin, last week you said you could easily put 50 hours into a game and I'd just like to put this out there. I got the Kingdom Hearts three platinum in 50 hours or so. I think your delayed Let's Play can turn into a whole video series to platinum Kingdom Hearts three. What say you to that, my good sir? I say you're pushing your fucking luck, Danny. <laughs> That's what I'll wanna, say. You don't want to. You don't want to learn all the ins and outs of of anime Disney. No, I certainly don't. But I did want to bring that up, Chris, because we do owe a Kingdom Hearts Let's Play. We also we owe do. an Overcooked Let's Play. So the Let's Plays are going to start. We're going to record them, I think, next week or the week after, and we'll get all those out. I hope in the next thirty days or so. I promise. That should be fine. It should be. I think easy. we'll be good. Yeah. The reason that we're a little delayed is because I'm kind of fucking around with SideQuest, which is my YouTube channel. I actually hired a writer and this person's going to start writing the scripts and all this kind of stuff. And so we're going to have a regular kind of cadence or a more regular cadence, hopefully on YouTube, just to see if we can find more success there. And so the Let's Plays will fit into that whole scheme. But I think most imminently, I'd like to review the Castlevania Anniversary Collection and then we'll have a side quest episode next week. And then the Let's Plays will begin rolling out. So thank you for your patience. But no, we will not be playing all of Kingdom Hearts 3. On no. video. That's a that's a it's not a long, long game, but it's definitely long for people who don't know what the hell it is. It's, it's 50 hours too long, it sounds like. So we're going to yeah, we're going to get into that in a little while. William and em- William Emery, I should say, wrote into us, Chris. It said, hey, CMs, I actually didn't realize we actually share the same initials. Yeah. yeah. So, do you have a middle name? Ray. Ray. That's right. Oh, yeah. Ray. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Well, no, I knew that, but I guess I just didn't think of it. I don't have a middle name. Oh, so, gross. Now, imagine I always thought, imagine if your middle name was Ulysses, then your initials would be come. <laughs> you've always thought this. I've always it's the thought way it. you've de- it's the way you've decided to say that. It's a weird tradition to my fit and like not a long running one. But my brother doesn't have a middle name either. The males in my, my family don't have middle names. Weird. Don't know why. Yeah. But William Emery wrote into us and said, hey, CMs, while the two state of play presentations haven't lived up to the hype, we expect from a first party announcement standpoint. The idea has great potential. 
I'd love to see Sony release state of play videos on the first Tuesday of each month, highlighting the best that PSN has to offer for that coming month as a way to help solve the store's visibility problems for smaller titles. What are your thoughts? P.S. If Chris can put up two whole videos in a month, surely Sony can put up one. It's a good point. <laughs> so I wanted to bring that up, Chris, yeah. because while I was gone, there was a second state of play presentation. We're going to go over all of the news in a little while from that. But what did you think overall? Don't get into the announcements, but I was I took kind of umbrage with Williams thing that it, it didn't live up to the hype. I feel like people are hyping these things up for no reason. I watched it. I thought it was fine. Yeah, it was what entirely it was entirely OK. It was exactly what I figured it would be. Uh, I was surprised by some stuff, but not particularly excited. It was fine. It did what it was supposed to do, I think. I don't know if making it like a PSN showcase would really be anything really more exciting, you know? Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I just wanted to throw that out there because I feel like people are... You got to calm down. It's yeah, not, I don't it's know. It's not going to you... be in E3. You no. Know? It's the, the reason why this is happening is because there won't be one. Right, exactly. So it's just all these really small kind of... And it's good for the for mm. those titles that wouldn't receive, uh, you know, a big fanfare of a showcase at E3. But yeah, the, the downside of that is it's not particularly mind-numbingly interesting. You know, it's not a fucking huge deal. No, and I actually think what's really cool about it is that if they keep doing these once a month or so, and then they keep this cadence of, you know, smaller games, second party games, ex- some exclusives, etc., then they will randomly throw something huge in there one day. Then you're, you're kind of sitting in for the sixth edition of State of Play, and you're like, all right, yeah. now we're going to get some VR games, and, and then suddenly it's like, boom, here's like a fucking massive game out of nowhere. I think that that's how you kind of keep people engaged and guessing, too, is to not only like expect that we're never going to get the AAA shit, but to just throw it in there once in a blue moon. So yeah. that every, keep everyone guessing. I, that's what makes me excited about it personally. Yeah. But I thought they did a nice job. I like it. It's nice and short and truncated. It reminds me of Square Enix's E3 presentation last year. No waste of time. Don't waste my fucking time. I do like that. You know, I don't I, I, I don't like hype. I don't like it. I don't like hype. I really don't like almost anything. Now, Chris, what are you playing? I'm playing Rage 2. We can so talk about it. A I am bit. as well. I only played a little. Yeah. I, I've just also, I mean, I haven't played a super huge amount of time. I think I played like maybe I put like three and a half hours. OK, in. well, that's enough to give him initial impressions, I think. Yeah, I think we so. can go more into it next week, of course, as well. But what are your initial impressions of the game? Uh, I like it. It feels a little bit janky as far as like, you know, the world design, because it definitely feels like the shooting is on point. Like shooting things feels really, really good. But it's also got this really weird kind of just cause style story where it's like kind of like over the top and kind of B movie tier writing and one liners that sound really cringy. I I I don't know. It it feels kind of unbalanced to me because I when I'm having when I'm in a gunfight, it feels really great. And it's like, ah, oh, this is enjoyable. I like this. But then you're done with the gunfight and then because it's an open world, you have to drive to the next encounter. And it's that point where it just feels a little bit like uh it doesn't have quite the same masterful pacing that doom had because doom obviously was a linear structured very methodically built fps where this feels more like here's an open world with a great fps framework but you have to get to the fights for it to be really really engaging what do you make of kind of the open world nature of it versus a more linear thing do you think this game could work more linearly because i agree with you when i started playing it last night and again i only played it for a little while i was like holy shit this feels great yeah like this actually is a really fun Doom-like shooter. Yeah. That they really made something really fine, kinetic, arcadey, and fast. But I found that it just, it, it, it did feel stilted. There was actually a moment where I was having a really great time, like in the beginning, shooting guys in this base that you're in or whatever as the game starts. Yeah. And I'm running towards enemies and stuff. And then it, it was very fucking Days Gone-like because, and then it just yeah. cutscene just came and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I had, this, I had the same <laughs> it thing. Yeah. So it was so horrifying. Pulls, it pulls you out of it very often. 
and it does that quite a lot. I think um, if you ever played Doom before, there's a, there's like one or maybe two moments in Doom where you're stuck in a room and you can't do anything, and you're just listening to dialogue. That happens in the very beginning of this game, and it's a very long... I think you're in there for like seven minutes listening to dialogue, and it's like, oh my god, no, I, I, this is not what I... It, it feels like it wants to be like an open-world, exploratory, like, scavengy kind of game. It's like, you gotta find bullets. No, but yeah, it feels like... Um, it just feels like it wants to be like this open world kind of game where it's like, oh, scavenge for your bullets. You got to manage your health resources, but then it also wants you, it wants it, you to play it like it's Doom, which is kind of the same problem I had with like Wolfenstein, where it's like, hey, play it like it's Doom, but also you're really weak. You know, it's got one of those kind of disjointed kind of points to it where it's like, ah, but the, the actual firefights are great and the abilities are really fun. So the one thing that I was really surprised by, again, not having seen much of the game is that the enemies in the game and I don't know if people are going to feel this, but aesthetically, like visually, they present like the Chimera from Resistance. Do they, they have these like things on their backs, like, you know, in Resistance. Some resist of them do, yeah. Yeah, in Resistance, you're aiming at their backpacks usually to make them overheat. So, yeah. they, like, they're not aliens from another planet or whatever, but one, they aren't in Resistance either. They're technically not. But if you want to get really nerdy yeah, yeah. with it. But the point is, when I was playing with them, I was, I was playing the game, I'm like, holy shit, they look like Chimera, kind of. You know, so there was there was that whole thing of it. But... I like that you brought up the B-movie thing because what I actually was reminded by was I was like, holy shit, this is kind of like we brought it up earlier with Crimson Guard. This is kind of like G.I. Joe. Like the it thing, is, the thing yeah, I was like sure. hoping, I was like, oh, man, this would be so cool if this was just reskinned as a G.I. Joe game. And you're playing as Flint or Snake Eyes or Rock and Roll. And this guy's like Destro and Cobra Commander. The, <laughs> the, they also have these like character introductions where it like pauses the game and like highlights like the Borderlands bosses. Right. But it lasts for a little bit, a little bit too long. And it's like this weird like over the top dialogue of like uh, general whatever the strongest guy in the game <laughs> and yeah. it's like oh, okay <laughs> all right maybe stop it's a little strange it's funny though i like yeah. i kind of dig the charm of it the bad guy's just like a person's head on this big mech and you're like what, what is what it's very weird it's very kooky uh, so I like the way armor flies off of people when you hit them too it's it's the action is great it's just getting to that action that kind of like eh, maybe it's uh, it's okay Avalanche Studios is funny, right? And, and there are two teams. So there's one in New York City and there's one in Sweden. But like they make Just Cause, which we brought up earlier. But then they make this game. But then they make Generation Zero, which is fucking terrible. And like it's just so weird how these different things just come out of nowhere. And I wonder, I forget who even published Generation Zero. It was like 505 or whatever. I'm, I wonder if you or no, Deep Silver or someone like that. I wonder if they look <laughs> if they look at Rage 2 and like, what the fuck? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, like, <laughs> Why did you give us? Yeah, like why didn't now I, I haven't looked at Rage 2's reviews. I, I did see a few things where I don't think it's being like super well received. I don't know that I have anything super bad to say about it in the very preliminary way I've played it yet, except for this. The games again, the game's menus are fucking terrible. Yeah, the menus are I don't understand why people can't make these. Menus are worse now than they've been ever. Horrible. I don't really understand why that is. I guess it's because we try to make them like super stylized. Like, look at all this. Look at all the real estate that we can take advantage of by making it all pretty and cool. And it's like, I would just give me Ugh. a menu. Yeah, I just want works. a menu that can read there. So there's one, this like pet peeve of mine. I like going into like codices and like reading about things or whatever. But you know how there's always like a marker telling you that you've read it or not. In this game, you have to like, you can read everything by just going over it in a list. But that, that little icon appears there unless you go into it. And then mm. back out of it like weird things like that where I'm like, come on, guys, this is I say it over and over again. I know I hit this beat over and over again, but it's the little things. It's why is this so hard the to do right? The tutorialization is a little weird, too, because it stops the game. It's not like Doom where it'll pop up at the bottom and wait for you to do it. It's like also every time you get a new upgrade or whatever, it 
teleports you to this like tutorial room and it's like you could just let me use it in the world i don't know yeah there's a lot of weird things like that i think the game is fun i think from what i've seen it's being relatively well received i see a lot of people really like it some people have a problem with the way it portrays disfigure people i don't know i saw that on (laughs) polygon of course uh but i like it i think it's pretty solid i don't think it quite has the finesse of doom just yet and it, it honestly this game's just making me really excited for for doom again but uh, I think it's solid. It's a nice, uh, solid single-player FPS, and uh, I'm glad it exists. Oh, great. Well, I, I from the anecdotal shit I saw, I thought it wasn't being that well-received, so I'm glad to hear that because, you know, I want Bethesda to be encouraged to make, or they didn't make this, but publish these kinds of games. And what's so interesting about these games and their first-person per- first shooters is what you had kind of said. They love health and armor-based shooters, which I love, too. Yeah. So, like, Wolfenstein, Rage, and uh, all the rest, and Doom, or all armor-based and health-based shooters in a world of regenerating health, which is so weird. So these games are just inherently more difficult, which is something that I really embrace a lot because I like the regenerative health in Call of Duty. It feels right for some reason, but I don't know why we, I don't know why everything started going in that direction. You know, why? Uh, It was was definitely Halo. Halo did it. Yeah. And then like everything kind of, Bungie tends to do that where they'll, they'll do something and they're like, this works for this. And then everybody's like, let's do that. So like regenerating health it was and then like when Destiny came out it was like social social hubs, you know? Well they're they're trendsetters. And this is it's so funny man because when we were talking about Anthem a few weeks ago, BioWare had said that they weren't really allowed or encouraged to even look at Destiny when That's they were making so the game. That's so insane to me. Still, I think about that I wake up in a cold sweat like how the hell? <laughs> how do you <laughs> it just blows my mind. You just wake up like that at 3:30 in the morning thinking about Anthem. Nobody does. So the other thing that I want to point out, and I don't know if you've noticed this, and I'm I'm interested to hear from others if they've noticed this when they start playing Rage, is you had mentioned the writing is like, you know, B tier and it's silly, but the right, and I'm not talking about the dialogue, the writing in the game, like when you look at the codices and everything, it's fucking terrible. Oh, really? I want want people to go. (laughs) I haven't actually read them because I don't really do that. It's bad where I'm like, this isn't bad to be funny. This is bad writing. It, It has like all the, it's not even grammar errors. It's just like run on sentences and like no commas. I'm like, who the hell wrote this? This is like so weird, you know? So that's another thing I want people to keep an eye on if you're interested in that sort of thing. Cause we get spoiled, I think from games like mass effect and others that have these really beautifully written, finely edited yeah believable things about planets and comets and all this and then i'm reading about these characters and it's like a run-on sentence and i'm like this is what oh like this wasn't even edited by doom had a really good codec too it did it was awesome the text was really small but that was what was so weird about it someone actually took the time to write it properly so you know rage 2 all the rage good which is what i think the episode is going to be named by the way that's not a bad name no i like it i like it too Chris, I also want to give a shout out to a game I played on Vita while I was going to Boston. I was in Boston and I was coming home and it's also available on PS4 now so you can play it there. It's called Valhalla. We had mentioned this a week or two ago because it just came to PS4. It was on Vita for a while. It's VA-11 and then H-A-L-L-A Valhalla. And I got to say, this game's really cool. Really? And I've never played anything like it. So what is it? It's a visual novel, really. Okay. But... It's a visual novel. So again, this is going to cut off a bunch of people, right? A bunch of people are not going to be interested in this. I get that. But it's a visual novel where you play as a bartender in a bar called Valhalla and in the future. And you listen to people as they come in and you talk to them and you make them drinks. And there's this whole thing where like they're like, I want something sweet. So you have like this this list of things and it's like, well, these are the sweet things. Maybe they'll like one of these. And so you you make all the ingredients in your mixer and you put ice in it or you age it and you mix it up and then you hope that they like the drink or whatever. And so there's like this little gameplay element to it that I really got hooked on. And I'm, I'm, I'm at the very end. I haven't beaten it yet. It's over, I think, 19 days. 
it takes place in December, uh, between like mid December up through New Year's Eve. Right. And, and it takes place in the far flung future, in like the 2070s or 2080s. And it basically is in this all takes place in this bar. You're a, a bartender named Jill. And there's like a lot of crazy shit going on in the world outside. Like it seems like society's kind of falling apart. People are coming in to like talk and like, you know, there's all these. It's very, very strange, but I really like it. I think it's like really interesting. And again, I've just never played anything like it before. It's super endearing and funny and well-written. A lot of Seinfeld references in it, which is really weird. There's a whole guy named Art Vandalay in it. That's like one of the characters. In 2080? Yeah. yeah like, People still talking about Seinfeld? But like he's Probably, a bald actually. guy with glasses. His name is Art Vandalay. And like, oh, that's awesome. And he's like one of the... And they... they so they... It, it's just a really interesting, passive, relaxing game. Really cool soundtrack. I might check it out. Yeah. The prices are all hyperinflated because like the economy is all fucked yeah. up and it's in the future. So like the drinks are like $200 each. Your rent is like $10,000. And the cool thing is, is like you're basically getting tips and like by not making mistakes, you get bonuses and more money. And that allows you to buy things for your apartment and allows you to kind of like sustain a life for yourself outside that keeps you happy so that you're better at work and stuff like that. That's really cool. Yeah. It's like really neat game. I highly recommend it. And they're making apparently a sequel uh, called Nirvana, which is like N1RVAN8 right. or something like that. And uh, I'm excited to play that whenever it comes out, too. So I highly recommend it. Valhalla. Go check it out if you'd like. Now, Chris, there's a lot of news. Yeah. A lot of news. In fact, there's so much that I cut some out because we're going to be here all fucking day if we go through all of it. But again, we mentioned the state of play earlier. So some of these are coming from state of play. Some of these are just announcements. We'll go through all of it. You guys wrote in, of course, your pa my Patreon supporters, our Patreon supporters. We appreciate you. I want to start with a game that Chris cares a great deal about. Number one. The medieval remake currently in development at Canadian studio Other Ocean finally has a release date. The PlayStation 4 exclusive based upon the beloved PS1 original is due to come to console on October 25th, just in time for Halloween. Perfect. The original medieval came to PS1 in 1998 and was followed by a sequel also on the original PlayStation in 2000. We last saw a new medieval game back in 2005 called Medieval Resurrection, which was actually a European PSP launch game. Other Ocean established itself with its Yu-Gi-Oh games which it created on behalf of publisher Konami, though this is by far their biggest game to date. They also actually did the virtual Recality game that we talk about every month yeah. on the PSN. That's also did they game. do that? Yeah. Really? Apparently. That's pretty wild. So Joey Williams wrote into us mm -hmm. on Patreon. He says, hey, see to the second power. Hope y'all are copacetic with the announcement that Medieval is being released for a scant $30. Is it odd for me to feel somewhat guilty for paying so little for a game that obviously had hundreds of man hours and millions of dollars invested into it? I don't understand the argument that, quote, because it's a remake of a 20 year old game that inherently makes it less valuable and quote using that logic. Resident Evil 2 remake should have been released at half the price it was. I know this low price tactic worked well with Ratchet and Clank 2016, one of the best games this generation, by the way. I actually agree with you in terms of exclusives and led to that game selling gangbusters. But Insomniac is a giant in the industry who doesn't necessarily need to see the revenue of a $60 game. But I highly doubt other Ocean Interactive is in a similar position. I know Sony can eat the cost, but I just feel that a franchise resurrection developed by a relatively small studio needs every penny it can get to stay afloat and warrant a potential remake of Medieval 2 or hell. Just keep the lights on. Thanks for all the amazing work you guys do. And thank you for helping me maintain a few shreds of my sanity during trying times. You're very welcome, Joey. Thank you for your detailed inquiry. Yeah. So before we get into all of this, Chris, how do you feel about what we saw? The game looks great, I think. I'm excited. I, I mean, I've always loved Medieval. I have a bit of more of a of an affinity for Medieval 2, so I am kind of sad that it's not there, but $30 isn't isn't really bad at all. I don't know. I, I feel like 
a game like this that's been out of the public consciousness for a really long time, I feel like a $30 price point is probably going to help them sell way more. Definitely. I feel like it's probably going to be way more enticing to be like, well, what's that? It's a Halloween themed game. That's kind of neat. 30 bucks. That's not bad at all. As opposed to like, I don't, I don't think they could sell this for 60, even if they did have Medieval 2 in it, you know, because it's just such an old IP that's like, uh, it's definitely like for the fans kind of thing. And hopefully new people will grasp onto it. But I think the $30 price point is perfect, actually. I do, too. So there's a few things that Joey went into here that I think are interesting and that need clarification. So first of all, this isn't going to hurt other ocean. I don't know the details, obviously, of the contract that they signed with Sony. But my assumption is that Sony just paid them a lump sum. They don't own the IP. So the price like they have nothing to do with the pricing. They have nothing to do with any of it. So I wouldn't worry about them. Like they got paid whatever they got paid. And Sony is taking the game and now selling it. Now, I think you're overestimating how many people worked on this game. And I think you're overestimating how long they've probably been working on it. I actually did a little digging, Chris, with Other Ocean because I didn't know much about them. That's how I found out about the virtual reality thing. Right. But they have a bunch of different divisions. They have a studio in the Maritime Provinces in Canada. They have a studio in Emeryville in Northern California. They also have a QA studio. They have like a bunch of porting studios. They ported Minecraft to 3DS. They did all this weird shit. So. They're a studio like a contract studio. They're not a, you know, a contract studio is really common. That means they take money up front and they help with a port. They help with assets, whatever the case might be. So I wouldn't worry about their health. They might have points on the back end where if the game sells well, they might get a bonus. But this game's not going to make or break their studio. They're going to exist and live. Yeah. And I think the $30 price point, Joey, is going to allow them to make that Medieval 2 remake. Because I think that Chris has been really upset that they didn't include both, right? <laughs> but I understand this tactic because you want to just see if people care. For sure, yeah. You know, and so I think, per Chris's point, I think this is going to make people care. $30, you know, $60 for Medieval is a lot of money. Yeah, it's all, well, the thing is, like, Medieval 1 specifically is a very short game. You could beat that game in an hour, probably. I don't know if, if they're going to change it and make it kind of, like, a little bit more modern, but uh, that was my initial thing where it's like, Medieval 1's so short. I feel like Medieval 2... And Medieval 1 would at least be a more compelling package for for 60 or $40. But at 30 uh, uh, maybe. Right. Maybe it works. I think it's gonna. I think people are going to like this game. I think people are going to care about this game. I think the, the late October release date is perfect. I'm so pleased that they did that. Yeah. Because that was, that was something that they really missed out on with Until Dawn back in 2015. I think they made a huge mistake releasing it in like August or whatever they did. I'm like, why didn't you just release this like in October and like make Halloween co- commercials and make this a big deal? So they're not obviously going to make commercials for Medieval, but it's just nice that they're going to be able to have a few beats on PlayStation blog and on their Twitter account, whatever the case might be, which I think is really exciting. And Joey, I think you're just a little confused about the way these relationships work because you brought up Ratchet 2016. Again, that's a second party game. Sony owns the Ratchet IP. They go to Insomniac. They pay them a lump sum. Again, maybe Insomniac gets money based on how the game performs, but these are are, these are uh, financial arrangements. They're not indie studios. Right. These yeah. are financial arrangements that are that are kind of in stone and they're delivering the product. Yeah. So don't worry too much about it. You should be happy that you're paying thirty dollars. Yeah. And by the way, Sony is looking at that and being like they think they can make a profit on the game at thirty dollars. Yeah. I'm really excited, man. Me too. And comparing Resident Evil Two Remake to Medieval is a little fucking crazy, by the way. Resident <laughs> Evil Two Remake yeah. is like it's, a triple A game. Yeah, it is. You know, Medieval's not a triple A game. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. 
Number two, during the second State of Play stream, Sony revealed that it's partnering with studio Ilphonic to deliver a second party exclusive multiplayer experience to PlayStation 4. Better yet, it's using a beloved film IP to do so. Predator Hunting Grounds is an asymmetric online multiplayer game that Fox, which owns the Predator franchise, is partnering with Sony on. The game is due to come exclusively to PlayStation 4 sometime in 2020. Ilphonic is a Colorado-based developer that's best known for the Friday the 13th game that came out back in 2017, an asymmetric horror game that probably provided the blueprint for Predator. So two things about this. Number one, I was shocked that no one wrote in about this game. The reason for that is that I thought it was so calm. When they when they showed it, I was for I don't know if you had when they showed it for 10 or 15 seconds. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, this is a SOCOM game. It's not. It's a Predator game, but it kind of is a SOCOM game in a kind of a way. It's kind of like Evolve, you know, in that way, too. But what did you think of this? I think it's cool. I don't really give a shit about Predator at all. (laughs) Me neither. I never got it. I I always thought I always thought he was like one of the weakest monster designs. Just this butt-faced thing with, with a dumb mouth and dreads. Like, what is? What am I looking at? I love asymmetric multiplayer. I loved. I loved Left 4 Dead's versus mode. I loved. Uh, you know, I, I just like that. A lot of the Splinter Cell multiplayers are like that too, where it's like, oh, this is neat. It's like asymmetric, and like I'm, I'm glad that there's more stuff like this coming, and I'm glad that it's. Uh, is this is a first party. It's, it's uh, Sony's publishing it. Second That's, party would make it Elphonic. So I had right. heard rumors, and we had talked about this, right, Chris, on the show. I, I had heard from multiple people that Sony is trying to get involved in second party multiplayer games. Yeah. We just talked about this a few weeks ago, I think. I think so. Yeah. Well, here you go. I was Colin was right. You know, <laughs> but when I saw this, because I've been hearing some rumors, some really strange rumors about SOCOM from someone who I trust. I'm not going to go into them today. I haven't verified them. But when I saw this like a few days later, I was like, oh, shit, you know, all, already. I do believe that SOCOM will live again. I believe that deep in my balls. You know, I think that that's a play a, a franchise that makes a lot of sense today. Yeah. Uh, but this is a nice step in an interesting direction with a studio, Ilphonic, that actually delivered a game that people really liked with Friday the 13th. And what people might remember about that game is that they had some trouble w- after the game came out because there was a lot of legal issues with the Friday the 13th IP that engulfed their ability to update the game. I don't know if you remember anything yeah, about that. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> so they found a new patron, basically, in Sony. It's cool. And the game is due out in 2020. And yeah, I was shocked that no one wrote in about it. I don't know if that's... Because we got, I think, like 75 inquiries this year, this week. I don't know if that's a good sign for the game. I think it's because Predator is just such a weird IP. You know, like the, they had a movie that came out recently that also nobody talked about. Right. Do you remember that? I saw yeah. it in theaters. <laughs> I haven't seen a Predator movie in 20 years. Exactly. That's, yeah, it's fi- that's fine. But like, I don't know. I'm excited at the prospect of uh, Sony published asymmetric multiplayer. Asymmetric multiplayer is awesome. It is. I, I think that it was, you know, with, especially with Turtle Rock with Evolve. I, we talked about that game. Even and Left 4 Dead. Yeah. And, and, and obviously Left 4 Dead. I think that those games were maybe a little ahead of their time because they were almost like these Fortnite like experiences, not in the gameplay, but in like Left 4 Dead meant that. Right. Like yeah. Just like Fortnite or PUBG meant this. And uh, my only cons- my only question for you, Chris, is. Because we were talking about Fox's inclusion in it, Predator, this IP, does it mean something? Do you think that they would have been better off just making a second party new IP as opposed to like partnering? Or are they kind of passing the buck to Fox to pay for the game maybe or something like maybe. that? Maybe. Maybe they got a pretty good deal on like licensing and like maybe, I, I don't know. I, I think it might be cool to have something that's licensed just because I think people are still scared from what happened with Evolve. I think people have this idea that asymmetric multiplayer is not something that people like, even though Left 4 Dead is like one of the most popular things, but whatever. Evolve didn't do well and that was a new IP. That was new stuff. So I guess they're banking on maybe, hey, you know, maybe the Predator IP is enough for people to be like, oh, what's this? Right. And maybe get their, uh, you know, cut their teeth on it. I think, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
I think you're probably right too, Chris, in the sense that we talked about the Friday the 13th game. That's not a that's not a big IP really either. You know, not a mo- big modern it's, it's IP. It's not a mod- all these things are big old IP. Right. Which I think is the key. Right. So maybe these guys just have an expertise in treating these IP with respect and that's very attractive, you know. Well, even if you don't, like who's going to care if like <laughs> who's going to care if a predator game is bad? I think that's kind of the thing. It's like you want to get something that's recognizable but also won't won't be so high profile that if you mess it up, it's going to be this colossal, you know, thing. Right. And and probably not a massive investment either. Yeah, exactly. But I was really interested. I thought it was really interesting to see that Sony splash screen before that, which means that it's an exclusive. So uh, we have that to look forward to. Now, the interesting thing with, with that is, will they bring it to PC? I think that this is another game similar to Helldivers and a few others where I'm like, I think this makes sense to bring to PC. And in fact, I think it makes sense to bring to PC immediately and and, and allow crossplay between the platforms. That'd be cool. See what happens. Yeah. Just see what happens. You have nothing to lose, really. Yeah. Doing that. Number three, a new Ghost Recon game has been announced and it's coming in fairly hot. It's called Ghost Recon Breakpoint and is the direct sequel to Ghost Recon Wildlands, which was launched in the first quarter of 2017 to a surprisingly quiet commercial reception, though it was fairly well regarded critically. The game is due out on PlayStation 4 and other platforms on October 4th of this year and promises a ton of content both out of the box and in the months to follow after release. As was the case with Wildlands, the game is playable solo, but is made for multiplayer and takes place in a sprawling open world. If you're interested, you can sign up for the game's beta right this second by going to ghost-recon.ubisoft.com, though your participation isn't guaranteed unless you pre-order the game, apparently. So this is another one of the things where you pre-order the game, at some point you get into a beta, who knows what happens. NeoJD wrote into us and said, Ubisoft just recently revealed Ghost Recon Breakpoint, the sequel to Wildlands. Originally, I was ecstatic to learn all about the game, but the more I dove into it, the worse it got. In the original, you could play the whole game on your own with the rest of your squad as AI that gave or- that you gave orders to. It wasn't perfect, but it worked. According to report- reports from Game Informer and IGN, in the sequel, this is no longer the case. If you play solo, you have no AI squad and you can't access endgame raids that have been added. As someone who loved the original, this completely soured my opinion on the sequel. Colin, I know you're in the same boat where you play everything solo. Why do you think Ubisoft changed Wildlands this way? Why does it feel like more recent games are forcing players to play co-op to experience everything in the game? This is so interesting, Chris, because I look at this and I'm excited about it because I'm like, all right, fuck the late game stuff. Now I don't have to order my dudes around. Now I can actually just play by myself. Yeah. So I actually look at this news and it makes me more excited to play the game. Yeah. I In my experience, whenever I've ever wanted to play a game alone, I've never wanted to do that end game stuff because the end game stuff is designed around cooperative play. So what, is, what does it matter even if I'm in there by myself with AI dudes? It's more, it's even more tedious. Yeah. This is a contradiction to me, actually, Neo JD, because you want to play alone, but you want to give your AI squad orders but then you don't want to play with other people to play the end game content. It just, in other words, it just seems like you're kind of getting what you want and maybe a little bit of what you don't, but this is more of what I want because I was, I played wildlands for only a few hours. Cause I'm like, I don't want, this is not what I want yeah. when I was playing. I'm like, this is did, not, did, did they force you to have uh, AI in that? I think it, it rem- I don't recall like that well, but I rem- remember thinking of, about it a lot. Like I used to think of like rainbow six, three back in the day mm-hmm. where you have this squad of people like I, in rainbow six, three on Xbox, I used to kill my squad. Like at the beginning of the stage <laughs> and then just go through the stages by myself because it was annoying. So having these AI controlled things and pointing people to different parts of the map, that's not fun to me at all. In fact, that's a massive turnoff. So yeah. I'm glad that you can this. They're making this a truly solo game. And I wonder, Chris, because this is a Ubisoft published game. I wonder if they're looking at games like The Division and they're seeing like, well, people are actually playing this game alone a lot and we should make this more accessible to people that want to play like that. Maybe I, I do think maybe you could make the argument that locking people out of the late game without or, or like making it inaccessible to people without friends is, is kind of contradictory to that. But yeah, I, I from personal experience, I've never I've never once cared 
about the end game, especially when I'm playing by myself. Me neither. I only care about the end game if I'm playing with other people. Right. I never care about it usually beyond the ending of the actual core game. Yeah. Because that's just not the shit that in- intrigues me about those games. I know that I'm in the minority. I guess Neo JD, it would be interesting to hear from other people that are of a similar mind to you because I don't know. That, that sounds more attractive to me. Jack Virgin wrote in to us. By the way, he did clarify in a postscript to his uh, Jack Virgin's uh, posting on Patreon. That is his real name. And he was saying that he played hockey like I did when I was a kid. And he had Virgin on the back of his jersey. Damn. So that was tough. That's sure. the, the yeah. That's, Jack Virgin wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, with the recent announcement of Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint, I wanted to ask you, too, about the future of stealth action military shooters for the next console generation. From the gameplay revealed, the game looks to be largely following in its predecessor, Wildlands Footsteps, with a large open world and emphasis on cooperative multiplayer. While it looks enticing, I can't help but wonder if there's any room for a truly stealth, linear, military shooter experience in the next generation. Do either of you expect or hope for one of these? If so, would it be in the form of a new IP or reviving an old existing one? Would love to hear your thoughts. I think this is Splinter Cell. You yeah. know, I think that that's kind of what you're looking for. I've been, I've been waiting for a Splinter Cell. I've been waiting for a long time. <laughs> And it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. Maybe I can will it into existence like I did with Crash. Now, he, Chris, he mentions military shooter experience. Now, uh, I guess, yeah, Splinter stealth Cell fits action. into that. Yeah, stealth, like, because I'm yeah, like, what Splinter about Hitman? Splinter Cell is not a military shooter, I right. would say. It's more of a, it's obviously like a stealth action game, I guess, is what you could, I don't even know if it's really action. Because I guess Wolfenstein's a stealth linear military shooter. Like the, the machine game Wolfenstein games, because you can play yeah. most of those and actually Metro as well, because you can play most of those without, a, you know, the enemies will not know you're there. You can sneak around, and kill the commanders and shit like that. So maybe you're looking for something like that. But what actually came to mind for me here as well was Hitman. I mean, Hitman is not military, but it's a stealth. It's a very popular Hitman, yeah. Hitman 2, very popular stealth based games. Also very good. <laughs> yeah, ex- very good. IO Interactive did a really nice job. So. Maybe with the stealth military stuff, you're looking more towards Metro and Wolfenstein. Maybe for the more stealth, non-military stuff, you're looking more towards Hitman. But yeah, I think Chris is right. Like, And we've heard from Ubisoft recently. I mean, you, you haven't seen the last, obviously, of Splinter Cell. It's just a matter of when that comes out and how this fits, because there's so many Tom Clancy games. Yeah. You don't want to kind of shove them together. And this goes back to what I was saying. Why do they keep calling them Tom Clancy games? Just call them Siege, Division, what, you know, Ghost Recon. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. The man, no offense, the man's dead. The people who write his books are ghostwriting his books now. It doesn't really matter. I don't think you have a lot of 16-year-olds reading fucking Red Storm Rising anymore. No. You know, or, no or, or Hunt for not. Red October. So I think they can <laughs> kind of drop that name. Your, your son comes up to you. He's like three years old. It's like, did you know Reagan liked Hunt for Red October? <laughs> I want to play that game. Their insistence, because as I said, you know, as we've discussed, Chris, Ubisoft owns Tom Clancy, and I know that they want the name, not the person. And so yeah. <laughs> I know that they want to shove it into everything, but I'm like, I'm wondering, like, does it matter? Does it matter? Did Probably the division not. sell one more copy because it was a Clancy game? Really? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it did. Maybe old people like boomers buy these games. <laughs> you know, Am I a boomer? Fuck. I don't know. I, I, I I'm a boomer because I fuck I probably have five Tom Clancy novels on my shelf over there. So <laughs> talking about boomers. I love Red Redstorm Rising is a great book, by the way, if you guys want to check it out. Number four. Capcom has revealed that its massive expansion for its mega popular game Monster Hunter World called Iceborne will be coming to PlayStation 4 on September 6th 
later this year. The first trailer for the expansion was aired during Sony's second state of play stream, revealing its locale as Horfrost Reach. It's an unfortunate name. Yeah, geez. It's H-O-A-R, Horfrost. Okay. Obviously, there will be plenty of new monsters, quests, gear, and more. And Capcom has promised a more in-depth look at the DLC at E3, which is next month. Word of the expansion's release date comes on the back of word from Capcom that Monster Hunter World has surpassed 12 million units shipped globally, continuing its reign as Capcom's best-selling game ever. That's kind of wild. Nathaniel Taylor wrote in and said, Hey, CNC, the recent unveiling of the Monster Hunter World Iceborne expansion during the most recent state of play has me thinking. What is a mechanic in a game that many find tedious that you adore? For example, I love the meticulous preparation that is required for the higher level fights in the Monster Hunter series. It greatly increases the satisfaction of taking down your foe. It's a great question. What is there something tedious in a video game that you enjoy that would otherwise be described as tedium by someone else? Hmm. A, pre- I, a preparatory thing or something like that? I, th- I loot everything in every room. Of my own accord, and I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I, I think a I lot do of similar people, things. Yeah, I do. Also, just like stealth games in general, I know like a lot of people. It's like, why, 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 why do I gotta wait so long? I want to play the game, and it's like that's the game, idiot. <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. I'm big in stealth, and like stealth, I could very easily see a lot of people being like, this is tedious. Like Hitman really is a tedious game. But it's so entertaining. <laughs> it's entertaining, and it feels good when you figure it out. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like that feeling of like, oh. Like you beat, you beat, you, it really is the definition of beating a game. Or like you try something and then it works and you're like, what? <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. The, dude, IO is so good with the design philosophy of just how well, des, like just designed, yeah. beautifully designed. Yeah. I, I definitely have to like be in the mood to play that game. But like when I am, it's, it's so good. I like tedious shit similar to what Nathaniel was describing here. I love like, you know, figuring out the best combinations of weapons and armor. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of Final Fantasy VI with, relics and using you know espers and whatever the case might be i like that kind of stuff as well because it does feel really good when you overcome that hump but i've only played monster hunter for a little while the only monster hunter game i ever played was on 3ds at a new york comic-con preview event it's just not for me Mm -hmm. that said i did like freedom wars on vita which is basically monster hunter so i guess i'm just a vita fanboy number five a special limited edition days of play ps4 has been revealed the color of the console is so-called steel gray, and it has the sacred symbols, triangle, circle, X, and square prominently emblazoned on the side of it. Unfortunately, this design is available for the slim model only and not for the standard or PlayStation 4 Pro iterations of PS4. The unit will come packing a matching steel gray DualShock 4 and a one terabyte hard drive. Its availability, both in terms of release date and quantity, remains to be seen. Not a huge surprise that this wouldn't be a standard PS4 in the old style, but it is weird that there's no Pro iteration of it. Yeah, that's a little odd. It's a little lame. Actually, yeah. I don't like the opinion. slim at all. No, I have one over there. It's a, it's a weird. Where is it? It's some. Oh, yeah, there it is. It's a weird, you know, it's a weird kind of form factor that I find the original PS4 a really much sexier unit. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I think the original one was like way nicer. Yeah, I'm, I'm staring at them both right now. Obviously, yeah. this is an audio podcast, so we can't uh, go any further. But then I do find the pro like a little unwieldy. It's a little a little ugly. Oh, it's the pro is hideous. Big. It's like, it's just, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm not, I, I I wish I could like take the body of the, of the original PS4 and like somehow encapsulate the pro in it because it is really like off putting. It's just like a pro with another stack on top of it. It's yeah. like very literal, which I respect. It's like very, it's a very literal design, but yeah, this might be a nice option. I know a lot of people listen to this show that some people listen to the show that still play PS3. Some people are Xbox gamers or PC gamers. Yeah. This might be a nice way for some people to get involved. And the uh, the sacred symbols are emblazoned like really prominently on the side, so it looks really cool. Unfortunately for Sony, I trademark the term sacred symbols. So, damn. Number six, a John <laughs> Wick game 
called John Wick Hex is under development and is coming to consoles, presumably including PlayStation 4 and or 5, following its launch on PC. <laughs> Underdeveloped, like it's under duress. Under, yeah. <laughs> the game is a turn-based RPG and is being created by Bithel Games, headed by Mike Bithel, responsible for indie darling Thomas Was Alone, the Robin Hood-inspired volume, and the suddenly released uh, Subsurface Circular. Uh, he's also a friend of mine, Mike Bithel, so take what I say about any of his stuff with a grain of salt. John Wick is a popular movie series with its third film, Chapter 3, due out in the coming days. The nature of its story and where it particularly fits into the storyline remains to be seen. I got to be honest with you. I have no idea what John Wick's about. No? I actually like went and read a little bit about it. I didn't want to spoil it for myself because, you know, you want to get a little idea without getting, you know, maybe I want to see it one day or something like that. Can you explain it to me, John Wick? It's, I, I don't know. It's very lore heavy, if that makes sense. It's very like action heavy. It's an action movie with like these little like sparse hints of like story of like what the greater kind of purpose of, of it is. It's basically just like there's a secret society of really capable assassins and that's really it. And it is, they're they're good. And is what's his way. name in it? Uh, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, right. Thank you yeah. for knowing exactly what I was talking about he, by saying what's his name. They're good movies, honestly. <laughs> I'd like to see them. I mean, they look cool. They're impressed. Like the choreography and it's like it's just it's violent, but it's like, wow. That's so cool. Keanu Reeves just lives again over and over again. Yeah, right. He? he just like reemerges. Good for him. Because he's also doing, aren't they doing a new Bill and Ted? Bill and Ted, right? Yeah. They're, and what's the other guy? Like, where did that guy go? The other guy? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I think that don't was know what Bill. His name yeah. Ted was Keanu Reeves, right? That's been a long time. Honestly, since I don't since. know. I know. It's been a long time since I've seen those. Number seven, EA Access, the subscription service for electronic arts games launched on Xbox One and PC back in the summer of 2014, is finally coming to PlayStation 4. Following years of Sony claiming it wouldn't come and that there wasn't requisite value for fans to justify its inclusion on <laughs> PSN. I used to love reading those stories because I think one of the stories they released back in the day was like, there's no value here. We don't want it on PlayStation Store. While EA Access is coming to PS4 in July, we don't have a specific release date, though its perks on PlayStation will be the same as on Xbox One, as well as on PC, where the service is known as Origin Access. EA Access members get early trials, 10% off all digital purchases of EA games, DLC and more, and obviously a whole slew of games. Battlefield 5, FIFA 19, NHL 19, NBA Live 19, Madden 19, Unravel 2, A Way Out, Burnout Paradise Remastered, Titanfall 2, Mass Effect Andromeda, and more will be available on day one. So it's a pretty good value. Yeah. If you're, you know into EA games. Simon Corey wrote in and said, hey, double C's. So EA access is finally coming to the Sony console. Thoughts? Is this more good signs of things to come for PS5? Will they somehow include this in the PlayStation Plus subscription? And do you see Anthem being added to get people to try it? $30 a year seems a good price. I didn't realize it was that cheap. I thought it was $60 a year. So that's actually a great price. Yeah, no, yeah. Dude, putting Anthem in there would be a great idea, but they're not going to do it, I'm sure. What do you think about the inclusion? Why did Sony suddenly do this, do you think, Chris? I, it has to be because, I, I honestly, I, I can't even imagine why they would have even denied it in the first place. Me neither. My, my assumption is that they just wanted people to pay full price for the EA game so they could get the cut. Uh, That's my assumption. So it, it has to be it. Yes. So I guess they're softening up a little bit. I, I don't know. That has they're to be They're definitely it, not going to include it on PS Plus, by the way. No, I wouldn't imagine that. That's not happening. That's not going to happen. I think you're absolutely right. Sony gets 30% of every game sold on PSN. So by having something like EA Access, they're undercutting themselves. Of course, they're not going to say that. But now I think is the time to be a little bit more, let's say, flexible with your offerings as Xbox One begins to step their game up. And so to have as many options, you want to give your players options, even if it's going to cost you. Because let's put it this way, 10% off of an EA game, a new EA game brings it brings its cost down to like, you know, whatever, $55, $56, whatever the case might be. I'm not good at math, $54, $53. But the point is, is there's still 30% towards Sony for that. So it's not, they're not taking that much of a hit. And the subscription, 30% of that also goes to Sony. So if you're paying $30 a year for it, you know, then Sony's going to get a cut of that. So 
I, I'm actually kind of confused why they waited so long either, because it kind of seems like it's just moving math around a ledger, like numbers around a ledger a little bit. It still seems like it evens out. Yeah. And it's good value. And by the way, every publisher should be doing something like this, I think. But right. maybe Sony was trying to discourage other publishers from doing it. Probably. By not offering it on their store. Number eight, couch co-op centric hack and slash game Riverbond is coming to PlayStation 4 this summer, as revealed during the State of Play stream. Developer Coco Cucumber is the team behind the game, and they're crafting something that looks quite a bit like 3D Dot Heroes on PlayStation 3 from back in the day, but with beautiful voxels instead of pixels. Riverbond's gameplay and stylistic choices are odes to the 16-bit era, and even include playable characters from other indie games, including Shovel Knight, Juan from Guacamelee, and more. So two things about this. Riverbond is an amazing name for a game. Love it. Love that game name, especially because it's a co-op game, so, yeah. that, so it's a double entendre. And do you, are you familiar with 3D Dot Heroes, the game? No. So 3D Dot Heroes was this game released on PlayStation 3 in 2010, and it was just this old school inspired, almost Zelda-like romp. And it re this really reminded me of that. And I think that that's going to resonate with a lot of people who have been, you know, hardcore PlayStation fans for a long time because 3D Dot Heroes was a really underrated game. And so Riverbond looks super cool. And uh, I think I'm excited to play it. Couch co-op only, I think. I don't think there's online co-op. I don't know exactly what they're trying to get at with that. Yeah. That's a little weird to me. A little odd. But Sony gave this uh, game some 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 screen time, so they must believe in it a little bit. Number nine, with the Avalanche Studio developed and Bethesda published FPS RPG Rage 2 now released. You'll be pleased to know that both the studio and developer are planning to support the game with regular updates through the end of the year and possibly beyond. Word comes by way of a handy image released by Bethesda, which shows five expansion windows, beginning with a so-called world event this month, followed by new events, challenges, and more in June, new events, enemies, challenges, and vehicles in July, and then, in August and sometime this fall, two major expansions, one called Rise of the Ghosts and the other still untitled. These fuller expansions will include new story elements, weapons, abilities, and areas of the map. The smaller updates are all free, but the two latter-mentioned expansion packs will cost your hard-earned cash. What do you think of these updates coming so late? So late? I mean, uh, is anyone going to care about Rage 2 in the fall? Oh, well, I guess the idea is to get them to care in the fall. I, I think that's a massive mistake. See, my, my whole thing with this... I don't want updates at all. Uh, just give me a finished game in the first place. I agree. So that you. way I can go at my own pace and I don't have to be like, oh man, there's a new uh, there's a new update coming out. That means like my checklist is going to get way bigger if I, unless I play this right now. Like reading that was like... Uh, I, I like felt myself drop a little bit like uh, I'm a little bit less excited now <laughs> for Rage in general. I agree with you 100%. Give us either a complete game or... And I know this is unpopular. I know that day one DLC is so unpopular with people I get it. But I love the idea of saying like, listen, this is the game. This is the $60 game. We think $60 of value is here. You have immediately three massive expansions that you can, if you like it, buy them, 20 bucks each or whatever the case, 10 bucks each. They're all available. I know that would bother people, but I like that model more because if you're in the Rage 2, you're going to be in the Rage 2 right now. God forbid I play Rage 2 in the fall. Rage 2 is going to be long gone off of my PS4 completely and never download it again by the time the fall comes around. Yeah, I will be shocked. So that's my whole thing where I think they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because obviously you want to extract as much value out of your game as possible. You want people to go buy it when it's a little cheaper. You want to yeah. have season passes and all that. But I, And I know Mass Effect really started this trend of really annoying the shit out of people with having something extra available at the, at the beginning. But I like that. I think that that's cool. It's like what we said with Red Dead, where like the, the last third of Red Dead could have easily been DLC. And I think people would have been totally fine with that. Totally fine. In fact, I would have loved that because I played the game for so fucking long that I was actually like losing my patience. Yeah, that. no. Same. So I don't know. I'd love to hear from the, the fans about that. But I, I think that if you can justify a $60 price point, then having the extra stuff on the side is just 
gravy. And I think that that's great. And getting it closer to the release date, I think is essential. It's weird. Cause I like the idea of having new content and like, cause that's good. That's better for everybody. But at the same time, it's just like, I want a game to just be out and like, I want to just be able to go at my own pace and just finish it on my own time without having to worry about whether or not there's going to be a sequel in the game I just bought. You know, I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds about it. Number 10. Yet another new game was revealed for PlayStation 4 during the most recent State of Play stream. This one is called Away, the Survival Series. Sorry, I just got a tweet or a text rather. And places gamers in a most unusual role, that of a squirrel-like sugar glider who must work his way around a slowly dying wilderness to find safety. The team behind the game is called Breaking Walls, a Quebec-based dev who has been working on Away for about three years. Unfortunately, there is no release date as of yet. I couldn't find anything about the studio of any consequence. And I actually was kind of most intrigued by this game when I saw the trailer for it. It looks like the most unique game that they had in that little palette that they mm-hmm. showed us. What did you make of Away? Uh, I don't know, it looks kind of neat. I, I, I can't really say anything about it. I just saw it and I was like, okay, it's a sugar glider. Weird. Yeah. Weird animal. Yeah. Kind of cool, though. I mean, Not any weirder than a bandicoot, I guess. <laughs> no, or any other choice. Uh, well, maybe a raccoon might have been a little bit more normal. Dragon, for instance, with Spyro. Yeah. But I like this. Actually, when I first saw this, I was like, is this wild? which we talked about maybe a few months ago, which yeah. is that Ubisoft game. I was like, oh, maybe they're re-revealing this. It's just another game now. So I think this looks kind of cool. I'm kind of wondering what the tone of it is, though. The tone of it reminds me like it could be a little bit like that game Moss on PSVR, where it's actually a little bit more serious than it appears. Because Moss was kind of sad and yeah. it, like took place in this world that was dead. And you didn't really get that from 10 seconds or 20 seconds of gameplay. So I'm wondering if this game is actually going to be a little bit more dire than it seems. I hope it isn't, though, because I would like to see (laughs) it's the last of us with sugar gliders. Yeah, it's like how many of these like how many of these games can we possibly get? You know, when I was playing Rage 2 last night, a post-apocalyptic game, obviously, I was thinking about Bioshock and the difference between post-apocalyptic and dystopia and how you can have dystopia without things being dead or dying. Like Dishonored is another great example of that and how we need more of that and less of the dying and dead shit. Like that's getting a little tired. It's so funny because I'm such a huge fan of that. Like the end. I love it. Yeah. But it's a lot. It's a lot special back in the day. Like when Jericho came to TV, which is one of my favorite TV shows. I know that people think that's weird. That felt so unique because there was nothing like that about the end of America and all that. And all. But now it's just over and over and over and over again. And even I am like, we must rebuild. I can't even think of how many times I've heard that. Maybe I don't want to rebuild anymore. Leave me alone. Number 11, Sony has revealed the top downloaded games on the PlayStation Store for the month of April 2019. The top 10 downloaded games for PS4 were in order. Mortal Kombat 11, Days Gone, World War Z, Borderlands Game of the Year Edition, MLB 19 The Show, Minecraft, Borderlands The Handsome Collection, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, The Division 2, and Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. The top 10 most downloaded PSVR games on the PlayStation Store for the month were in order. Beat Saber, Job Simulator, Superhot VR, Creed Rise to Glory, Gun Club VR, Angry Birds VR, Killing Floor Incursion, Drunken Bar Fight, Borderlands 2 VR, and Rick and Morty Virtual Reality. The top performing free-to-play games were Apex Legends, Fortnite, and World of Warships Legends, which they are really promoting. It's like crazy on the store. Have you noticed that? World of Warships? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Like crazy splash screens all over the place for that. And by the way, this is the first time since 2012 that Sony has not revealed the top downloaded beta games. So they are closing the the book, it looks like, on them. A little disappointing, if I I do say so myself. Shed a tear. That's all I do is shed tears about a beta. Number 12, Sega has officially added a new studio to its roster of fully owned teams. 
Word comes by way of Sega Sammy, the holding company of the Sega brand, which revealed that Two Point Studios has officially joined the Sega family. Two Point Studios has only released one game in the form of 2018's Two Point Hospital, which never came to console, though the future of the studio and if it will bring its games to PlayStation and elsewhere remains to be seen. Two Point Studios was founded in 2016 by prominent names from the now-defunct Xbox-owned studio Lionhead Games, the guys behind the Fable series. Two Point joins a Sega team made up of the likes of Creative Assembly, Relic, Amplitude Studios, and more. Sega's slowly and quietly building themselves a little something over there. Yeah. Sega Sammy? What the hell is that? Sammy is a separate company. You know, There's a company named Sega Sammy? Yeah, Sega Sammy is the conglomerate that owns both Sega and Sammy. Sammy being an older game company and publisher, and I think they do a bunch of other shit too. So Sega Sammy is like the holder wow. of the corporate entity. That's a terrible name. And uh, Creative Assembly and Relic are really great studios. So yeah, they're, for sure. they're, they're slowly creating something that is Bethesda-like at the very least, I would say. Or maybe not Bethesda-like, maybe not that big, maybe more like EA-like, mm-hmm. where they have, they're not just making relationships. Because I, I think they learned some hard lessons working specifically with Platinum because they funded Bayonetta and all that shit. And then they're not even known for that anymore. And obviously yeah. they funded Vanquish and all these games. So I think now they're just trying to acquire studios so that they can make IP and hold on to them. Not a, not necessarily a bad idea. So congratulations to Sega. We'll see how that works out. Number 13, not surprisingly, beloved indie publisher Devolver Digital is having an E3 press conference again this year. And now we know exactly what it is. You can look forward to their presser on Sunday, June 9th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Devolver Digital's first published games were a series of Serious Sam games launched between 2009 and 2012. The studio put itself, or the publisher put itself on the map, though, by funding and publishing Hotline Miami in 2012, and ever since then, they've been cruising. Some notably published games include the 2013 brawler Foul Play, which I absolutely love, 2014's Loofed Rousers and Hatiful Boyfriend, 2015's Hotline Miami 2, Titan Souls and Downwell, 2016's Enter the Gungeon, 2018's The Messenger, and much more. So naturally, you're going to want to keep an eye on what's coming next. Those guys have a great eye for some of these smaller indie titles. Yeah. Hotline Miami games, Titan Souls. Did you play Titan Souls? No. That was a weird one. Titan Souls was a game where you can only get hit once, and it was all boss fights around these like this like temple basically where you like went and fought all these bosses in these different rooms. <laughs> That's kind of really neat. really hard. I like that idea. It's very cool. It's good on Vita. And Enter the Gungeon was a was an addiction of mine for like a weekend. That was so good. I liked it a lot. Number fourteen. Bandai Namco, the publisher and developer of the famed and Collins' beloved Tales JRPG series, has revealed that the Tales games have collectively surpassed 20 million units sold worldwide, a huge number for a franchise that has long played third fiddle to the likes of Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. Tales began on Super Famicom in 1995 with Tales of Fantasia, and the most recent mainline release, Tales of Berseria, came to both PS3 and PS4 in the summer of 2016. Though Tales games can be found on many platforms, the series has primarily made its name on PlayStation, beginning with 1997's Tales of Destiny, which is still my favorite Tales game. There are 16 core games in the series. The most recent release, Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition, came to PS4 in January of 2019, having long been stranded on Xbox 360 in the West. So congratulations to them. It does go goes to show you, though, Chris, about expectations. Monster Hunter World sold 12 million copies. Every Tales game ever released in the last 24 years. 20 million copies. <laughs> it's kind of wild. And that has like made as a massive success for them. Can you imagine how much money that Capcom made off of fucking Monster Hunter? Insane. Holy shit. Scary. Number 15, the PlayStation. Blo- and this is, I think, the wrap up here. Yeah. It is. The PlayStation blog reports that side scrolling action puzzle unruly heroes is coming to PlayStation 4 on May 28th. The state of play stream re-revealed Final Fantasy VII Remake and subsequent Japanese language Q&As indicate it's still being released episodically, according to multiple sources. 
Kotaku reports that Studio Isatolia's Twitter account has disappeared, along with many mentions of it elsewhere, like on Square Enix's website, indicating that Hideo Baba's in-house team working on a game called Project Prelude Rune is gone. So just really quick, you guys might remember that Hideo Baba is the old producer and big head honcho of the Tales series. He left Namco Bandai to go to Square Enix, created a studio and a game, and now apparently all gone. So we'll see what happens there. Website Push Square reports that Ghostbusters the video game, which came to PS3 back in 2009, is coming to PS4 as a Taiwanese games rating board rating has leaked its existence in remastered form. And finally, Push Square also reports that Oddworld Soulstorm is finally set for release in early 2020 on PS4 and elsewhere. I'm very happy about that. Now, Chris, I'm excited. Are you excited about Oddworld? I love Oddworld. Oh, man. really? I'm not a huge fan. I loved Oddworld. It was like one of the first. That was one of the first games that I remember playing that really freaked me out. Like I remember being visceral, like very vividly traumatized by like the the intro sequence to one of them where there was like an alien. He turned his eyes. His eyes were sewn shut. It was, ah, so good. I'm I a big fan games. of Warren Lanning. He's yeah. a buddy of mine too. He's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And he actually wants to come on Fireside Chat, so I should invite him on at some point. But he's fascinating. Just a fascinating dude. When kind of funny, when I was that kind of funny, we opened our studio space. We had a party. He came through. <laughs> Everyone bought, like, brought, you know, beer, wine, whatever the case might be. He brought this like homemade, like alcohol, alcoholic, like fermented drink. Really? And I got bombed with Lauren Landing that night. Just bombed. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Out of my mind. Out of my mind. I think it might have been like a, like, I think it might have been like a hallucinogenic or something. The legendary limitless luscious Lauren Landing. Oh, nice alliteration. Thank that you. doesn't belong to me. That's my friends. Oh, oh really? Somebody I know. Lauren Lanning alone is nice alliteration. What a name. Yeah, right? So convenient. Oh, I love it. Good Lord. Good Lord Lanning. (laughs) Now, actually, I'm going to do something a little unusual because when we wrap things up, we usually go right into the new game releases. But we actually, since we've mentioned Final Fantasy VII Remake, we should talk about it a little bit. Oh, yeah. So it exists. It does. Brian Slaughter wrote into us, said, hey, fellas, Word coming out of the recent state of play is that Final Fantasy VII Remake will still be episodic. I guess my question is why? What possible benefit could an episodic release offer that isn't offset by an inevitable tapering off of the player base as the episodes release? I think that they're doing this because I think they bit off more than they can chew, and I still don't believe it's all coming out. Remember, everything we've seen, including the new stuff, is all from the beginning of the game. All from that opening, I would say, we we would say the opening disc, but really even more than that. It's like the opening 10 hours of the game. So... I kind of feel like this is a, still a proof, like a, a proof of concept. Like I'm of the mind that we're not going to get it all. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think that maybe this is their way to say like the shit or get off the pot to be like, we're either going to do this or we're just it's just not going to happen because we've taken this long to get this far. The game is huge, by the way. Final Fantasy seven is a massive game. I platinumed it on PS4 a year or two ago. It's the first time I had played it in a long time. I forgot how big it was. So I think that they're just trying to get something out there and then maybe it's a little proof of concept. Now, the price will be interesting. Yeah. If they can get this out there, Chris, for like $19.99, I'm like, okay, cool. And then you release like the second disc and you release the third disc later. Depends on how much is on a single episode. Because it, it could be like 20 episodes oh, for all gosh. we know, which is insane. But like, I mean, uh, I do agree, though, Brian, in the sense that Everyone seems to be getting away from episodic releases. It's a bad idea. Hitman recently just uh, did the same thing where they were like, the, I think the original or, or the first re- in the rebooted Hitman games were episodic and the, the Hitman 2 was just entirely one experience because episodic content tapers off. Right. Tell, look at Telltale. I mean, that really hurt Telltale games. And Square Enix has experience with episodic releases because they publish Life is Strange. So they should know a little bit more about this, the way this works. Yeah. And... It's not only the tapering off, but then the growing expectations and the disappointments and the way things break. And but what option do you have if you if you can't finish the whole game? Really, it. you know? 
ah, it's Final Fantasy VII. It's going to be a big blemish if they if they mess up Final Fantasy VII. Listen, I will believe that game even exists when it's in my fucking hands. Yeah. It was the same thing, the same way I felt about Final Fantasy 15. You're going to have to prove it. To yeah, me because I don't believe it. Remember that they took the studio that was making this game off of the game like two years into development. So, first of all, things weren't going very well because you remember CyberConnect was making this game and CyberConnect's not a great studio, by the way. So Square Enix was showing like really questionable judgment from the very beginning. They're putting the guys that make like fucking dot hack on Final Fantasy 7? No. Sorry, no. So from the very beginning, it was weird. Like, wouldn't you want this to be internally developed? Wouldn't this be like a really important game for you to make yourselves, perhaps? And so they decided to do that, and they are doing that now. But I would have just said, like, listen, like, you just got to come out sometimes and be like, listen, we bit off way more than we can chew. We're canceling this. You'll recall, by the way, that we announced in the PlayStation 2 era that we were remaking Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, and everyone forgot about that. That did happen. You yeah, guys can go read those stories. Well, it's a good thing people forgot. You know, so if there's an interesting thing on RPG Gamer, which is a, you know, a niche website that has existed forever. If you guys go look, just Google around. Google around for Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 PS2 RPG Gamer, and you'll find a story from like 2000 or 2001, where Square, at the time, Square Soft, because Square Enix didn't exist yet. Square Soft at the time was like, we're going to, we're actually looking into making these games again for PS2. So this is not a new thing. And everyone just forgot about that. So you can just, they could, slow, they could have quietly just been like, eh. Forget it. Remember also that Final Fantasy 15 took like 10 years to come out. So not good. You hear that sound you hear is me tapping on my phone. because I'm trying to not good. Trying to get to the bottom here. There's one other thing that people wrote in about. Glenn and Cole Simper said, what's up, CNC? Big announcement about the Final Fantasy 7 remake has people talking about release date predictions and whatnot. But that's not my question. Why does Final Fantasy 7 get so much hate from people? I've always found it to be quite compelling and incredibly fun to play. It seems like a lot of people like to dump on the game because of its graphic style and the way it goes about telling its story. But I can't help but think it's common. I, but I can't help but think it's just common nitpicks. What are your thoughts? Now, Final Fantasy VII was one of the few RPGs that you actually did play, right, Chris? That you actually do have experience with. Yeah. So I didn't finish it because it, it was huge. It is big. But what's attractive to you about it, though? I think honestly, I think the the soundtrack and the art did a lot of the heavy lifting for me. It got me through a lot of that game that I don't think I would have sat through had it not been for it. It just works, man. The battle music is like really engaging. The just the ambient kind of tones, the themes to the cities, the themes of the characters. I really like. I don't even think I really care about any of the characters really at all. I, I went through that game entirely based on just like I like this sensory feeling, and it's weird. I agree. Midgar is a really interesting city with all of its plates and like these reactors yeah. and stuff everywhere. It's really dark and gritty, and this is exactly what we're talking about. It's not a post-apocalyptic world. It's a dystopian world, and there's something fundamentally different about it. The world is dying in the game. That's what the whole game's about. But it's about a company taking the life out of the earth, literally. And yeah. what's so interesting about it is how ahead of its time it was. It really is about, like, I don't want to say about global warming, but it's about the earth changing and humanity's effects on the planet and stuff. So it's really actually quite relevant today yeah. in that way. And there's something quite heartbreaking about playing it from that perspective. But, Glendon, you have to remember about why. Look at Final Fantasy VII through the lens of its release and what it meant when it came out. So it came out in 1997. And... This was the first mainstream role-playing game ever released. This was a game that had commercials on MTV. This was a game that had, you know, a marketing budget, the likes of which you've never seen. This was the most expensive game ever released up to that point. So this was a game that they pushed heavily. And you'll remember also that this game was initially going to be developed for N64 and then went to PlayStation 1 because they couldn't make the game. And Squaresoft had a huge falling out with Nintendo. And this marked like kind of the beginning of their relationship with Sony, which exists to this day. So... This game brought in a lot of new players, 
and it became very unpopular with people who loved JRPGs at the time. I remember because I was there. I used to hate on Final Fantasy VII in a major way because I was so mad that people were playing it. I mean, I remember like when I was like in high school, you know, I was like, these are games that I play. Like I'm the fucking role playing game nerd. Why is this guy? Why is this football player who playing, who, playing, playing Final, Final Fantasy VII? And I remember that like really annoying me when I was a kid, you know, but then like you, you become an adult and yeah. you realize that like it was actually a really important game. It got a lot of people into the door and JRPGs simply would not exist the way that they exist now, if not for that game. So I think people hate on it because back in the day, Glendon, I don't know how old you are, but it was really popular to hate on it. It was really popular to hate Final Fantasy VII. And it wasn't until 10 years ago or even less that I actually came to grips with the fact that it's not a bad game. And in fact, it's a great game. And when I played it again on PS4, I was reminded of how good it was. It looks like shit. Don't get me wrong. It looks like fucking trash. Oh, it's Final Fantasy VII? Yeah. No, it looks great. No, the, I, I, I think the aesthetic <laughs> looks good, but the, the it's the polygonal early polygonal shit just doesn't look right. Yeah. It's also like weird to juxtapose it with with these really hyper not hyper realistic but these really kind of artful pre-rendered backgrounds. Yeah, that, which which actually to your point are still somewhat pretty. They do look really nice. I remember the, I remember saucer, a, right? a big reason why I played it too is like that was one of the first games that I'd seen that had like pre-rendered backgrounds. I guess Oddworld was also that way. It was like very heavily pre-rendered but yeah, PS1 I thought was, it was really cool. PS1 was all about PS the Donkey Kong also was like that too but the Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Now, Chris, that's all we have for the news. It's time to get into the new game releases. Oh, boy. I was thinking about this. I always ask if you want to go first and second, but you always just go first. So why don't you just lead off? All righty. A plague tale, Innocence, comes to PS4. Follow the grim tale of young, young siblings Amicia and Hugo in a heart-trending journey through the darkest hours of history. Hunted by Inquisition soldiers and surrounded by unstoppable swarms of rats, they must struggle to survive against overwhelming odds and find purpose in this brutal, unforgiving world. Sony's pu pushing this game a little bit. Um, yeah, I saw. I, I remember seeing. I don't know if it was. I guess it must have been. I saw like, yeah, two two kids running and there was like a swarm of rats. It looked really cool, actually. The physics in the game are supposed to be really impressive with how many rats they get on screen at once, which I guess is kind <laughs> of similar to Days Gone with the with the freakers. Yeah. But it is interesting. Sony is giving this game a little bit of attention, so I suspect that it's probably good. But I can't speak to that for sure. But I've seen tweets. There's a PlayStation blog post, some trailers. If you guys want to go check it out. Bartender VR Simulator comes to PSVR. Bartender VR Simulator offers you a unique combination of a simulator, bartending course, and incredible immersive VR game. Prove yourself and win the opportunity to train and work in the next location. Master more and more demanding drinks as you progress to new, unique bars, all served in a super realistic quality. Oh, no. Yeah, this is, uh, I forgot this oh game was coming boy. Out. Bubsy Paws on Fire comes to PS4. From the developers of the Bit Trip series comes the latest and greatest in Bobcat-based gaming. Oinker Peham is determined to capture every animal in the universe for his Amazatorium. Amazatorium. Amazatorium? Oh, I thought it was like Amazon. A Amaz oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Amazatorium. <laughs> Bubsy, fearing mostly for himself, is just as determined to stop him. No matter who emerges victorious, there's going to be a whole lot of yarn along the way. So, I, pl I actually played the hell out of Bubsy when I was a uh, kid for some reason. For people that don't know, Bubsy 3D... Oh First of all, you know who oh developed God. Bubsy 3D? This is a weird 
full this is a weird full circle thing for everyone uh, yeah. sony bend made bubsy 3d <laughs> they were called Ididic at the time sony didn't own them yet but bubsy 3d is w- like widely considered one of the worst games ever made that's like superman 64 territory yeah it's and really terrible people should go look up videos of this game it's fun man watching people talk just play it is such a fascinating so, yeah so it's a little piece of a little piece of history and just kind of a weird full circle thing because uh that's a that's a sony ben game and uh, they they've obviously improved a great deal since then. Yeah, for sure. Castlevania Anniversary Collection comes to PS4. Konami's Castlevania Anniversary Collection traces the origins of the historic vampire franchise. Released as part of the Konami 50th Anniversary Celebration, relive those timeless classics that helped define the platformer genre. From the Belmont Clan to their extended bloodlines and allies, the Castlevania Anniversary Collection is the best first step for anyone to take into the world of Castlevania and the fight against Dracula. That noise you hear, that's my boner hitting the microphone. <laughs> Darkwood comes to PS4. Darkwood is a challenging survival horror game without jump scares. Ooh. Craft weapons and fortify hideouts in the eerie forests by day. Then wait and pray for the sun to come up the next morning. Wade through the grueling, bizarre world of Darkwood and delve into its creepiest secrets before it destroys your body and consumes your mind. No jump scares as a selling point. That's super interesting. Yeah. I like that, actually. That sounds interesting. Devious Dungeon 2 comes to PS4 and Vita. Now, you'll remember, I gave the original Devious Dungeon... Uh, game of the Year award last year for the game that I don't remember playing but have a platinum trophy in. <laughs> this is the sequel, Devious Dungeon 2, PS4 and Vita. The castle's ever-shifting halls are filled with deadly monsters. Treacherous traps have claimed the lives of many adventurers. It is rumored the castle contains treasures beyond imagination. However, it also is the domain of the summoner, and he does not look kindly upon uninvited guests. That's actually a great write-up, by the way. Yeah. Feudal Alloy comes to PS4. Atu is an ordinary fish-controlled farmer robot who lives in a small cottage in sunflower fields. He had been living a simple but uh, but pleasant life until a bunch of outlaws attacked the village, stole their oil supplies, and burnt his house. Just burnt his house. (laughs) Didn't even burn it down. Just burnt it. (laughs) Fortunately, he managed to grab his old sword and fled into the woods. Do you think that Danny Atkinson from earlier is the guy... That they're talking about in Feudal Alloy, since he <laughs> seems to be some sort of fucking yeah, arsonist. <laughs> a serial arsonist. Figment comes to PS4, a musical action adventure set in the recesses of the human mind. Welcome to the world of Figment. A strange and surreal world, a place filled with our deepest thoughts, urges, and memories populated by the many voices we hear in our heads. Join Dusty and Piper on an adventure through the different sides of the mind. Can someone please edit these? How many times do I have to say it? It's, uh, apparently no one cares. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Guilty Gear comes to PS4. First released in 1998, the legendary 2D fighting game Guilty Gear is back. Unleash furious uh, furious attack chains with the speediest ever Gatling combination. Destroy your opponent and conclude the match immediately with the, the Sakai and more. Yeah. I assume that's what it, I did it right. So I guess this is just a re-release of the original That's Guilty kind of Gear. interesting. Yeah. I don't think I ever played the original. I definitely didn't. Quar Infernal Machines comes to PSVR. Quar Infernal Machines is a turn-based strategy game set in the world of Alwid Command Calv... What is Alwid? Yeah, it's like A-L-W-Y-D. Interesting. Command Cavalry to sweep the enemy's flanks. Your soldiers are armed with weapons ranging from the humble rifle to the heavy automatic shotgun. Rely on your officers to keep up your troops' morale and to call in deadly airstrikes. Rage 2 comes to PS4. Rage 2 delivers a carnival of carnage where you can go anywhere, shoot anything, explode everything. Ruthless and bloodthirsty gangs roam the open roads, and the tyrannical authorities seek to rule with an iron fist. Dive headfirst into a dystopian world devoid of society, law, and order. See, this is the dystopia versus post-apocalyptic stuff. I just don't know that it's necessarily... It is dystopian by by design, I guess, because it's not utopian. Sniper Elite V2 Remastered comes to PS4. 
In the dark days of the end of World War II amidst the ruins of Berlin, one bullet can change history. Elite sniper Carl Fairburn returns to the front line in the remaster of this award-winning stealth action experience, packed with new features, contemporary visuals, and, def- and definitive content. Someone asked earlier, right, about a military stealth shooter. There you yeah, go. There's there a you re-release. Go. The Padre comes to PS4. Unravel the mystery of a missing cardinal by solving the riddle of a demonic power you did not expect to encounter. Face your inner demons and fight the power of evil while it seduces your soul. Play as the wittiest pop culture referencing priest in video game history and face an an ultimate game over if if you make angels cry. If you make make angels angels cry you a river? Yeah, that's a weird... Okay, weird. They should have just put a period after that. That was a massive tone shift, by the way. Yeah, they should have just put a period after that. By the way, I was thinking, wouldn't it be funny if it was about a missing cardinal like a bird instead of (laughs) an actual priest? Finally, Undead Horde comes to PS4. Become a necromancer and raise the dead. Undead Horde is an action RPG and an RTS in an undead package. Command, lead, raise, loot, and fight your way through the lands of the living with your horde. Ultimately, claim back the kingdom for the Undead Horde. Now, hold on a second. Okay, they only use it Horde three times. It seems like they said Horde 17 times in there. It's a lot of Horde. Well, it's because you read it once. That's true. Chris, that's all of the games. Now, I, I can't speak for any of these except for Rage 2, which is interesting. People like Guilty Gear. There's a Castlevania anniversary Castlevania. I, ha- I don't have it yet. They didn't send me a code. Bob Z exists again back at the top of the ch- food chain where he belongs. <laughs> I'll be interested to see if that game's any good. Can you imagine if it's fantastic? <laughs> you know, it just reinvigorates this entirely. Like, Bob Z becomes the biggest thing of all time. Yeah. All right, Chris, as we usually end Sacred Symbols with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. I figure we'll do that once more today. We should, but I should say before, I forgot to mention it at the top of the show. Yeah. I played Dreams. Oh. I actually did. Let's let's talk about that. It's interesting. It's not bad at all, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like, I do not have the patience to be good at this, but I've seen some incredible stuff. So just to get that out of the way, it's really neat. If you're like really patient and really creative, which I am neither, I would recommend checking it out because you could do some really crazy stuff in that game. <laughs> Here's my thing. Here's the conundrum for me with Dreams, and this is becoming something I'm actually starting to laugh about the more and more because they, they released like this thing. Somebody made this really impressive recreation of the Ghost of Tsushima trailer yeah. in Dreams. And I'm like, okay. Like, I, I'm like, well, <laughs> that's what the game is? And, yeah. some, and some other guy's like making Sonic the Hedgehog in Dream. I'm like, so it's just making things that are available elsewhere. I can well, play Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, yeah. Ghost of Tsushima. As, in other words, what I'm saying is like, this is a really impressive set of tools, but all I'm seeing are people making things that are iconic elsewhere. For sure. Like, I, I don't understand the point. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a modern game engine thing. It's just like a modern kind of RPG maker with like a fully, you know, 3D engine that you can mess around with. It's definitely one of those things where uh, I think a lot of people are going to be making stuff that they've seen before. Uh, but I've also seen some interesting kind of things that I've not quite seen before. There's one game that I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was kind of neat. It was like a twin stick shooter, but it was like multiple. Di- it was weird. It was like multiple dimensions. Listen, I respect what the, the, what Mini Molecule has built, and I think it's really cool and interesting. But it seems like it's, again, catered towards a very small fraction yeah. of people that are able to use the tools. And it seems like everyone is just involved in making things that will get them attention, which are things that already exist. And that by the time this thing really runs its course... I just feel like it's going to be like Little Big Planet 2 again or something where it's people, a few people play this thing. It just disappears forever. I think Media Molecule should have made a game. I, 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 I've said that for years now. Just make a game. We They're so clever. Just make a game. Yeah. Make us a game. Don't make us this. I don't I, I don't know. I, I'm, it's weird. Maybe I'm a hater. I don't know. Maybe I am. 
people are really people really get upset with me to talk about dreams. But I'm glad you brought it up because I, I did want to ask you if you had played it. So it's, we're a little out of order, but that's OK. Yeah. Who really cares? It's fine. Now, a, a person named Forbes wrote into us. This could be the magazine for all we know. He says, hey, guys, the three year anniversary of Uncharted 4 was this week, and I wanted to see if you could both share your thoughts on the game. Colin, I know it seems as though your opinions have shifted over time. And Chris, I would love to hear yours. Thanks to keep up the great work. Now, I'm not sure if you've played. Have you played Uncharted 4? I have. Yeah. OK, so not I just, on my account. I think I borrowed it when I didn't have my account ready, which sucks because now I, I, I'm never going to replay that. So it is amazing. It's three years ago. I remember when it came out. People were really excited about it. Yeah, it was an interesting game with an interesting development history. You guys will remember that. Basically, The Last of Us directors had to kind of jump on to that game. Neil Druckmann uh, and Bruce Straley after The Last of Us were released. Amy Hennig left. They were kind of left with half a game. They had to kind of put something together really quick. They did the best they could. Neil Druckmann has been very open. I think he tweeted about it the other day saying it was the hardest game by far he has ever worked on. And that includes The Last of Us and all the Uncharted games and Jack and Daxter and everything. So pretty interesting anecdotal evidence that it wasn't a pleasant game to work on. But I, I guess I have shifted in a way because I've been a little harder on this game over over time. I remember not not th- being blown away by it back in the day. I don't know if I was. Maybe I was. I don't, I don't really remember. But I rem- what I remember most about it was that it just didn't have a lot of action in it. It seemed to me like it was just a game that was bringing you through environments and occasionally you'd have these firefights. But it just didn't seem it wasn't that I, I don't remember being like exciting to play. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah, I thought it was OK. I don't know. Like, I, I never really loved Uncharted. Like, I really liked Uncharted 2, but Uncharted 1, I think, honestly, is, is not not a great game at all. And Uncharted 3 is just Uncharted 2 Wait, again. you said Uncharted 2 is not a great game? Uncharted 1. Oh, Uncharted 1. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I misunderstood you. No, okay. I, lo- I really like Uncharted 2. Uncharted okay. 2 is probably my favorite one. So, but like, okay, 3 so, and, and 3 is kind of the same. I feel pretty much the same about it. Oh, I think Uncharted 1 is a good game. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's like Assassin's Creed 1 or something like that. But that's what I mean. It's yeah, okay. like, it, it's okay. It's, it's good. But it's like a it's one of those tepid goods. Like it's like this is f- interesting. I wonder what this is going to be. You I, know, I thought Golden Abyss was better than than one Drake's fortune. I will say that, which was, of course, the Sony Ben Vita launch game. I don't know. Maybe it's just I remember playing it on on those weird <laughs> weightless controllers and being like, what 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 is this? Oh, the, the six axis. Yeah, the, the six worst, axis. the absolute worst control. But yeah, I don't know. Uncharted 2 really hooked me, though, and I, I really liked it. Uh, three was I, I I think we had this conversation before where it's like, I feel like if we played three first, it'd be the same. Yep. They, I feel like you're probably right. No, I don't Just because they're the same. Yeah. They're they're not really all that different. Like story-wise, I'm sure it's like it's two might be a little bit better, but like there's also the stupid Yetis in two that I'm like, what? what? Yeah. That I was hate a little the weird. They, they take like a million bullets. My actually favorite, for real. Like what? My favorite Uncharted scene is in the third one, which is the cruise ship. I absolutely yeah, that's love. That's a fun. I love. That's a cool set. That piece. was like fucking nu- that was incredible. Like how you're on the ship and you're going in and out and then it's sinking and like yeah. it's, it's fucking cool. Sh- I love that scene. Yeah, that's like that's like a movie to me. And uh, I think Uncharted 3 is probably the strongest one, mm. followed very closely by the Vita exclusive Fight for Fortune, the card game. OK, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> no one remembers that game. I like the grappling hooks in it. The fourth one had the grappling. Yeah, hook, yeah, right? the, the, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I like that you could do that. Now, Chris, let me ask you this. Are we out of the spoiler window for Uncharted 4? Because I do have something to say about it, but I don't want to spoil the game for anyone. It's if... been out for a while. So I'm, I'm getting ready to spoil the Avengers for everybody right now. And it's been like three weeks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's funny. Someone had been talking about, I think it was one of the guys from Game Informer was saying like, do we have to put Final Fantasy 7 like back in the bottle because it's coming out again and a whole new generation is going to experience it. Like, so we're, we're really flippant about spoiling Final Fantasy, like Aerith dies and shit. Yeah. Like that's a big spoiler. Everybody does. Aerith dies. Yeah. She's dead. She's dead as shit. 
doesn't matter. People are going to look it up anyway. Right. <laughs> Anybody, like, whatever, who cares? But with, un- all right, so I'll, I'm going to spoil the end of Uncharted 4. You guys can fast forward like 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it. Drake gets you, Alzheimer's and lives in a fucking cottage. <laughs> and the bit gets mutated and becomes Shrek over a long period of time. But the way it ends, the prologue, or I'm sorry, the epilogue, is really good. And With the daughter? With the daughter, and I think they set it up for another game. And I think that that's the game they're making in San Diego. That's long been the rumor. I think to, to act like Uncharted's never coming back is fucking insane. Yeah. And I think that the next one's going to be about the daughter. And I'm, I think that that's really cool. That'd be really cool. So In I a weird way, it would kind of bring it kind of full circle because you'd have a uh, because it is it is basically Tomb Raider. Yeah. <laughs> like for real. Dude Raider. Remember everyone? Dude used to Raider. That? <laughs> it is. It is. It's as the old saying goes that I used to say back in the day. Without Tomb Raider, there would be no Uncharted. And without Uncharted, there would in there turn would, be no Tomb Raider. Yeah. Corey Hahn wrote into us, Chris. He says, greetings, Colin and Chris. Last week, a U.S. politician introduced a bill to ban loot boxes in games that are targeted towards individuals under 18. While I can easily see both sides of this topic, I feel it's more unjust to outlaw one of the biggest revenue streams for a game as this could have sweeping impacts on the price of games beyond the projected bump coming with next-gen titles. Would love to hear both of your thoughts on this proposed legislation. So I actually included this in the news and then removed it because Mm -hmm. the news was so fucking long. It seemed like the the least consequential thing to talk about. But I did want to talk about it a little bit. Did you see... Anything about I did this? see I did see rumblings of this. So the basic story is that, and this has already been happening in certain EU countries and elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Just to catch people up, Chris is familiar with this. I'm familiar with this, but maybe some of you aren't. The whole loot box and microtransaction thing is creating a conversation where people are wondering if it's predatory, not towards adults and like people with faculty, but children. And well, it's a gambling thing, kind of. That's what the, the argument, argument was. That's what the argument specifically was in Europe. Yeah. And as far as I understand, because I read the ESA. So the ESA is the Electronic Software Association, which is basically the gaming's the gaming industry's official lobbying apparatus in Washington, D.C. Everyone has a lobbyist in Washington, D.C., including video game creators. And they released a statement saying that the whole gambling aspect of it was looked at everywhere in Europe as not being germane to the conversation. In other words, they looked at it and said it's not gambling. I think this happened in like Belgium and other countries. I think the Netherlands, maybe. And so they made the similar argument that like we'll we'll defend this and we'll present in court why mm-hmm. and obviously they're going to say that because they're defending publishers of course yeah but the whole thing about this because he had brought up Will had brought up in his question and this is true it's aimed at minors and games aimed at minors but here's the conundrum Chris technically every game released on PlayStation is available to minors except for the M-rated games which are 17 and under in other words. There are no AO or X-rated games on PlayStation. So you couldn't make the case that every game is aimed at a minor. Even if it's 17 and up, at 17, you're still a minor. So right now, you're looking at language that is very nebulous. And this mm-hmm. is why I think that this will be killed or maybe rewritten. Because I don't know that Fortnite is really aimed per se at kids. It's certainly... Oh, it 100% is. Well, here's what I'm saying. It's a sh- My brother and I actually had a conversation about this. And you're free to disagree. And it yeah, seems like yeah. you do. But it's a shooter. It's a, it's a it's a comedically violent game, but it's like he has a, a son in second grade that he won't let play the game, for instance, even though he really wants to. Right. And so I don't know that like it's a wink and a nod thing. In other words, Epic knows who's playing it. But right. I don't know that they're necessarily like hardcore trying to cater to eight year olds. I think they're catering to 12 year olds or 13 year olds. And there's a difference is like, do you. Do you look at a 12 or 13 year old as being like a little bit more engaged in the reality of how money is spent, getting your parents credit card, all those kinds of things, as opposed to an eight year old? So do we need to kind of tether this, in other words, to ESRB ratings? And do we really want the government involved in this at all? 
Because remember, the ESRB was created. I don't know if a lot of people know this. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. The ESRB was created because the government threatened the video game industry that they will get involved if they don't regulate themselves. Right. So the ESRB regulated themselves so the government would stay out. And this happened during Night Trap and Mortal Kombat and all those games. For sure. So maybe there's another thing that they can do with the ESRB where they say maybe. there's another rating. Where they can say like, well, they go to the government yeah. and be like, stay out. Just stay out. We're going to put a rating on this that's a, a secondary or tertiary rating that is about microtransactions. Mm-hmm. And that way parents know. And I think that that's a, a, a decent. That might be a good middle ground. Yeah. But I would also say that if you, if it. If in order to stay afloat, your game needs to include just constant randomized items for real world money that you know are being probably used by kids' fucking parents' credit cards. If you can't survive without that, then maybe you shouldn't be making games in the first place. Yeah. If I'm going to be real about it, we've we've had a whole industry that's been that's evolved for decades without this, and it's been fine. So, like, my thing is, like, do you, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want anybody getting involved necessarily, because I think that's also, like, a bit, it gets muddy there, and, like, who who cares ultimately who gets involved as long as the problem gets fixed. But I do feel like it is kind of predatory in some instances, not all of them. But in the way, in the places that it is, I think, you know, maybe your studio should fail if you can't make money without tricking kids into using their parents' credit cards. I don't know. How do I put this without sounding like a fucking idiot? <laughs> is it wrong for a game to be predatory and i i don't i guess i don't know how else to put it because it's right. I, I guess it's a misnomer but like I, what i'm thinking about chris is like the lottery the right. lotto is fucking way predatory it, and by 100%. the way it's run by the government the yeah. state every state government runs its own lottery system which is entirely designed to remove you from your money no exactly it's 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 entirely messed up so i i guess maybe predatory is a misnomer because you don't want things but to be kids predatory. Can't buy lottery tickets right but kids shouldn't also have access to credit cards that's that becomes right. a parenting problem, right? Yeah. Per a point that we've made many times in the past. And so I'm just, unco- you know, it's like the old Grover Norquist quote, which I love, which is like, I want the government to be so small you can drown it in a bathtub. This is like the last thing I want the government involved in. Like the government doesn't need to be involved in video games. And so I just look at it as being like, let's figure out a way yeah. for the, gov- the, the industry to regulate itself again, just like they did with the ESRB to keep the government out. That maximizes freedom in terms of your ability to monetize your game how you want or to have whatever content you want in your game and I don't necessarily know if it's a bad thing and again I guess I guess we're kind of I'm quibbling on terms because I'm not try, quite trying to put it but it's right. supposed to be enticing right like that's the idea is it for sure and I don't know if it's gambling because like I gamble I love going to Vegas I go to Vegas yeah, multiple yeah. times a year and gamble that's fucking gambling when well, I sit at the table the, well, and I'm losing the loot box thing back at, like things are different now where you can kind of pay for specific things I don't really play a lot of games with loot boxes on just basic principle now but as far as I remember there were there was a pretty long period of time like 2014 to 20 probably 17 maybe even still today where you could spend money on shit and you didn't know what the fuck was you were getting you know, it was just entirely random. I hope I get something, which is gambling. You're spending money on stuff that has no value in the hopes that you might get something with a little bit of value in it. Right. But you're right. But I, I guess I just don't see how it's different than so many things in society. People right. go into these fucking capsule toy stores that are kind of prompt that were have been big in Japan forever, but that are becoming For prominent sure. in the United States. You have no idea what you're getting. When you pull one of those things out. Now, I'm not saying the dollar investment is, is worth. You know, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like you don't. It's like getting a box of cereal like or a, a fucking Happy Meal. Like you don't know what you're getting. You don't know. 
Like you don't know what toys in the, the box. You don't know what to right. like. So that that's my whole thing where I'm like, I just feel like this is so dramatic, you know, like where this is such a dramatic reaction to things that are kind of co- it's just another way to may, attack video games. Maybe. But then like what's but the problem is now that Epic's not going to make another game again. <laughs> and like because that's the thing it's like these games are just going to stick around and just continue continuously siphon money off of a player base that really probably isn't smart enough to really understand what they're <laughs> what they're emboldening. And I think it's like we're probably going to end up with fewer games because of it, because what especially because it's all free to play and entirely based on this this swarm of kids <laughs> just buying a dollar thing here and a dollar thing there to the point where it's like I worry that in 10 years all we'll have is like Fortnites and like crap that won't be enticing to pitch. Like how are we going to pitch a, a God of War in 10 years when everything's just when well, you can make so much money? It's. And an industry that is profit driven, which is, of course, that's like that's what businesses are. Yeah, but like I don't know, man. Uh, I don't. I don't want the government getting involved. I think we can manage this ourselves. But like, I don't know, man. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the way. I don't like the the route. I don't like the system either. I think, Chris, that you're absolutely right there. Like, it would be cool if Fortnite was just available as a game that you bought. But uh, then I, I guess it kind of defeats the purpose of of the zeitgeist of the game in terms. But it of wouldn't like, be. But that's the thing. It's like kids don't have money. That's right. why. That's why p- kids are playing it. Right. Is because kids don't have. When I was a kid, I had nothing. I was playing demos. I played the Bioshock demo like 50 times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I had no ex- expendable income. Right. Or disposable income. So it's like, eh, this, is a, this is a tough question. I don't like it. It's a tough question because I don't like it either. But I think the market needs to be given room to flex. Like the pro- See, here's the, here's the major problem is that the free market is supporting these kinds of games. Like when right. you let the market speak, the market actually wants them. And it doesn't want all of them because a lot of them fail. Yeah, but you know, like Radical Heights and shit was an immediate failure, right? You can predict even games that are going to fail before they come out. But the market seems to gravitate towards these games. But the good news is that I actually somewhat disagree with you on the single player point because it seems like the market is maybe gravitating towards single player games again, as long as the publisher is big enough to withstand the losses. Like I was really surprised to see Days Gone is selling like massive in Japan. Did you see that, that news? Like, no, get, I didn't see that. It's, it's outsold, I think, cumulative. I think, I don't know if this is true. I don't Yeah. But I saw that it has outsold to date already God of War in Japan. Like this game is huge, 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 That's huge, huge. That's kind of interesting, yeah. And so I think it's about finding your market, finding, you know, taking a risk. And I think releasing a game like Fortnite is high risk, high reward. Because the game could either fail immediately or it's going to catch on. And then there's a huge reward on the back end, but you can lose everything. Making a game like God of War is a little lower risk, lower reward, right? You're going to only sell 8 million copies of this game. Mm-hmm. That's your, your ceiling's 10 million. You're never going to make epic money no matter what. But your investment is such that you'll find an audience. Fortnite could have just totally yeah, yeah. disappeared and not find anyone. It's an it's an interesting and complicated situation, yeah. but I'm I don't th- always I don't against think the- single player games are going to go away in like the next five years. But I do think, especially because a lot of these games w- have been in development for a long ass time already, and Fortnite is still kind of relatively new. But I do think like in in a decade we could be looking at a very different landscape. Well, I think you're right there. Simon Corey wrote into us, said, hey, double C's rant time. At what point did game developers decide during this generation that us gamers are, are, are unable to press X? No, now we have to hold down X until it fills a bar. Want to sell items? Hold down X. Want to equip armor? Hold down X. Want to select missions? Hold down X. Want to use an XP? Hold down X. What the fuck? Is it just me who finds this a pain in the ass? Thanks, Destiny, for introducing this. Yeah, I, I did know. I remember when Destiny came out and I was like, ooh, this is kind of neat. <laughs> 
But now it's like everywhere, and I'm like, stop, <laughs> like please. It was fine in that because it was new at the time. I don't recall like many games. Like I'm sure some like sparse, uh, sparse few probably did. But like I remember when Destiny came out, it was just like, I guess it's kind of like a personality thing. I think it's a design philosophy that stops you from making mistakes. I actually think it's kind of clever. I don't know that you have to. Here's here's the oh. middle ground, right? Yeah, please. Just don't make it take so long. Because some games are like it's real slow. In some games, and I'm like, what are you doing? I have a I have a finite amount of time on this planet. Yeah, it's sir. like 1.5 seconds for the bar to fill. Yeah, or and it's like, like that's not necessary. I know if I accidentally hit the X button, I'm an adult. I think it's a design philosophy. Again, Destiny introducing this. You we were talking about Bungie introducing things that people copy. So yeah. not a huge surprise. Kind of funny that you brought that up earlier. Actually, yeah. But I, I don't mind it. I think Chris is right. I think it gets a little little much sometimes with how long you have to do it and on how many things. I thought Destiny was did it fine. But like some of them are just like, what the fuck? I will say this, though, Chris, is that it gives it does give me this weird feeling of like just a little bit of an extra feeling of accomplishment because like you're holding it down and you're waiting for it's like the a thing progress to bar kind of. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a Pavlovian thing almost where almost like in, in QA and like in just in testing, they're like, oh, this actually like in other words, maybe Destiny in QA or in, in testing, they had an option to hold down X and they didn't have an option to hold down X. And they could have gotten feedback. I mean, this is entirely possible. It's, yeah, totally. That they got feedback that that wasn't at all aimed at the X button, but that they just found that this group found something more satisfying than this group. And so they were like, maybe it has something to do with that. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm sure in Destiny 2, a lot of people were like, I just accidentally deleted my best armor piece. <laughs> <laughs> but like a lot of games that use that kind of like weird circle bar don't even really have things like that where you can delete stuff that's important so like i don't know it's weird yeah it's just a weird trend that bungie started borderlands with the sellback option i always really loved like the fact that like you can sell anything and you're never and it's never lost so you never oh, yeah, have you to can worry buy it back, too. Or buy back rather yeah so you never have to worry about any of the decisions you make that's kind of another like alternative so instead of for sure having the bar just make it so that you can never make a mistake I, I think that's nice. So you can reestablish your xp so you can reestablish your skill points so you can buy things you sold or maybe have an undo button actually yeah. straight up why not Colin Davenport, who has the audacity to share my name, says, Colin and Chris, I was recently faced with a situation that high school me would have dreaded. A trip to the local museum of art. In parentheses, he puts Z's, indicating that he fell asleep. However, I would now be going with my new family, so I was actually looking forward to it so we could spend some quality time together. After arriving, I found that my enjoyment of the exhibits far exceeded my expectations. I now appreciated the different users of light, uses of light color, perspective, etc. I began to wonder why, and I was left with an interesting conclusion. Video games. After thinking about it some more, I was left with a question. Why don't we talk about the art style in games more often? Of course, cel-shaded games get plenty of attention, but upon reading review after review, I noticed this aspect of games felt neglected or marginalized, although graphics tend to get a lot of attention. How important is art in gaming to, to the two of you and in general? Do you think art in gaming is underappreciated? It's probable that I'm just new to an insight that could be standard. Anyways, thanks for the great work. Your fun conversations helped me get through some of some great planet fitness workouts. You're very welcome, Colin. So first of all, I love art museums. So I was a little disappointed that you were disappointed that you might be going to an art museum. <laughs> By the way, I went to the Getty Museum here in L.A. last year, which is a wonderful museum. I, I, I if you're if you love just me, I love going to museums. So if you like nice museums, really lovely museum. And there was this beautiful painting from the 16th century of this bowl of fruit. And there was these little flies painted on it. Beautiful. Just lovely. I couldn't believe it was real. So it was behind glass. The camera was behind glass, but I got like this close to it to look at it. And some guard came and yelled at me. So I'll never forget that. <laughs> But uh, so, Chris, do you think art is underappreciated? I understand what he's saying. I, I, I think, think he's talking so. about two things, though. Style. Art style. Versus art. Right. Like graphics versus style. I do think he's right. That style is underutilized because everyone's going for realism. Yeah, for sure. 
But I don't think we don't talk about graphics. We talk about them all the time. What do you think? I think we talk about them quite a bit. I do think there's once once you get into the weeds of communities specifically like communities that are into specific games, then there's a lot of conversation about art style because those are the people who are like invested in it. But like as far as like a style, I, I'm sure like if a game has like an appealing art style, it's mentioned, you know, or if it's or, or, or if there's like a stylistic, you know, presentation to it that is worth mentioning. I'm sure it gets mentioned in reviews and like and things like that. But I don't think it's something that's not talked about. I understand what he's saying, though, because think about this. Take God of War, mm-hmm. Horizon, Until Dawn, Days Gone, Ghost of Tsushima, The Last of Us, they all have the same art style, which is realism, right? Yeah, like they might is, go about it a different way, but they all kind of look like they're in the same universe almost. For sure. Yeah, no, but yeah, well, yeah, that's what realism kind of does. That's kind of right. why they're, they, they, those games tend to be my least. Th- that's why, like, when I play a game like The Last of Us, I'm like, this is cool, but there's something there that's not grabbing me that I wish it, that I wish would. It's be- yeah, you had brought up a while ago, which I think you were exactly right. You were talking about, I don't know what episode it was. It must have been a long time ago, but you had been- mentioned something akin to the to this notion of like, when are we going to start getting back into art style again? Like when, are we- when will it kind of rubber band back so that realism isn't the end goal anymore? Yeah. Or at least for some games, because I want Last of Us to have its end goal is realism. That's what I want out of The Last of Us. But what's so cool to see a game like Rage 2 is that it's it looks beautiful, but it doesn't look real. And yeah. Borderlands 3 doesn't look real at all. No, I love the way, I love Borderlands the way it looks. So I think he's talking about two different things. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I agree with him that we don't talk about the substance of style maybe as much as we should. But I don't know that I have an eye to be able to differentiate between what makes Days Gone different from The Last of Us in terms of like an artist's rendering of Deacon St. John versus, you know, well, Ashley the thing, Johnson. Well, the thing with those games, too, is that that's just an actor that's straight up motion captured and face captured. So that's just straight up a man in that game. There's no real art style to it because it's just a guy who's scanned in. So I I, I don't know if there, I don't even know if it really has an art style. Really, it's just it's got art. Right. And it's got good graphics. But I don't know. Maybe some games don't have art styles. Yeah. Which is an right. interesting thing to think about. You're right. Maybe maybe we need to start talking about the aesthetic more. The Maybe. aesthetic, like the, the the design, the interesting design philosophies. I was watching that movie from 2016 the other day, Passengers, which was pretty good yeah. the, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And I was, was like Chris Pratt in it, right? and Chris Pratt. And I was like, this has an interesting sci-fi aesthetic, even though it looks probably very similar to a lot of other sci-fi movies. So, yeah, maybe we're just talking about a lot of different things, but I just don't know that I'm sophisticated enough to talk yeah. about art in that way. I'm definitely not an artist. No, me neither. I appreciate it as much as I can, though. Mm-hmm. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Michael Limaruro. Limaruro. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Said, Hi, Colin and Chris. PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale was received about average by critics around low to mid 70s on Metacritic, although I'm not quite sure of its sales figures. I gave it an 8 at IGN and it sold over a million copies. 
with a vast number of iconic characters across all of its quality first-party titles. If done correctly, a new Smash-style fighting game on the PS5 could compete with Smash Ultimate on the Switch and future Smash iterations as well, and graphically blow them out of the water. Should this be something Sony invests in, or should they focus on their bread and butter? As a fan of both Sony single-player masterpieces and frantic Smash fun with friends, I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for the great content. So, Chris, I wonder how you feel about this solution. And this is something that I was thinking about when I was putting this together today. What does Sony have to lose allowing Nintendo to ingest some of their characters in the Smash? Even if the games aren't playable on PlayStation platforms. Like, they have nothing to lose by doing something like that. By saying, like, Parappa the Rapper or some, like, someone that fits into that world. Yeah. Like, what do you really have to lose? It makes you look cool. It makes you look like you're down and you're friendly. And it's kind of like a backdoor promotion for your content. You're never going to have Smash Brothers on PlayStation. And maybe Nintendo wouldn't want your characters. But that seems to be a more amenable solution than trying again yeah for or sure. something that failed i think it'd be cool to see like uh I don't know, some aesthetically you know s- something a character that works in that I-, I would love to see that from every every i would love to see gordon freeman <laughs> from half-life in, in smash brothers or like uh master chief or like that that'd be that'd be one of the coolest things ever i think if you're they gonna get, get i think you're gonna get master chief could, in there dude. i think so too actually honestly but i i think if we had everybody in in this new smash that'd be awesome like a representative from every single corner of the, the the every platform, that'd be cool. I think it would be cool too. And I wouldn't and want to see another PS Battle Royale though. I, I just I, don't think that it's it's it didn't work for people, right? And it's just a bunch of men's. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a bunch of men's running around. It's like Cole and Nathan and okay, Sweet Tooth and all these guys. <laughs> it's just and guys, just people. I think that they could have done something. And I think they still could do something like, wouldn't it be cool if Sony went to Arc System Works or something and was like, make us a fighting game? That'd be cool. You know, that would work really well. And I don't know if you remember when the original art leaked for PlayStation All-Stars, it was called Title Fight at the time for people that don't remember the, the code name for All-Stars was called Title Fight, which I think would have been a much cooler name, by the way, for the game to call it title, like literally call it Title Fight because it's a double entendre. Yeah, no, for sure. But they released this art of Sweet Tooth originally. And I think... It might have been Kratos or something like that, but it was really hyper zoomed in on them. The models they were like really beautiful. So it looked like it was a 2D fighting game, like a 2D standard Street Fighter type Mortal Kombat Yeah, like type. a Marvel versus Capcom yeah. type deal. And when I saw that originally, I was like, oh shit, like they're making a real fighting game. And I think that that would be the only way I'd want them to go back in is to say like, let's hire Arc System Works or someone else or Capcom or whoever and make a real fighting game with our characters. Otherwise, you have nothing to lose by even approaching Nintendo and being like, we were, we're really interested in including Kratos or whoever into your game. Can we can we have a discussion about that? And I wonder if Nintendo would be interested in that because that would look like a huge win for Nintendo. So that would be an optical win for them. And PlayStation will look cool because they don't look cool right now yeah. with the way that they're playing with others. So I really just ask people to ask themselves that question. And I'd love to hear an answer if you think, like, what do they have to lose? Nothing. Because they no. don't have a competitor in that space. <laughs> Not exactly. And to let them do it for free and to not charge a licensing fee and to do all that kind of stuff, I think would be a really nice handout, you know, towards another company and make you look cool. And again, a company you, that you're not doing too well with right now. No, definitely not. Adam Laws wrote into us, Chris, we have three questions left. Hey, Colin and Chris, you both have consistently said that you both get games digitally mostly now, obviously a part of that being early release stuff. I personally love physical games, and recently my favorite game franchise, Jack and Daxter, is getting a physical release on PS4 ports made by limited run games. Do you see this being the future of current game games going this route and maybe doing something along the lines of gameless collectors, collector's editions, such as the one of the Forza games did a few years ago? As always, y'all are the best gaming podcast around. Keep up the hard work. I don't know that I see this as a solution. I thought the Jack and Daxter limited run thing was weird because Sony owns that IP. So, like, why wouldn't they publish it? That was the weirder thing that I yeah. thought. 
where I was like, why are they outsourcing this? That, that was the weirdest thing to me. I was like, you guys literally control the means of production. The fuck are you? T- <laughs> like, why are you literally getting another company involved? That was the weird part. Yeah, maybe it was like some cross promo. I don't, I don't know. That's really weird. When I saw that, I was like, what? Not that Jack and Daxter would get that because I'm like, people like Jack and Daxter. You can make some money. But I'm like, why wouldn't? Why would you do? You're literally making them submit shit to you that you then have to go through all these processes and then send, you can just do it yourself. And you and Sony should be getting, by the way, so the smartest thing Sony should, could be doing is undercutting limited run games in these other companies and just doing it themselves with all of these games. That and would, then and then they get their uh, full profit. Exactly. Too. Like, why wouldn't they literally go have a, a small group of people at Sony going to all these devs and being like, we'll publish your, we'll, we'll publish 5,000 copies of your game. We'll publish 3,000 copies of your game. You know, instead of just like, that's weird shit to me. Maybe next generation won't have disk drives. Maybe. And they would be pointless to have physical copies. No way, man. They're not going to do that. (laughs) There's no way. There's always a way. Well, that's true. There could be an option. I would like that. I don't think I would ever. If I could pay less. I probably $100 would. less, $150 yeah. less, something like that. $100 less, I would probably get. Yeah. Because you're probably need. looking at $500 for PS5. Yeah. So $400, dollars That'd be wild. That would be sick. There's no way a disk drive is that expensive, but. The interesting thing, though, Chris, is it what, what? If you really gave a person a financial incentive, that's a 30% discount. If you gave them a, a financial incentive to be like, no disk drives, the only way you can buy games is through us. Then you take, then you eat shit. Then you sell the you, you might as well give that unit away because you're literally forcing them to just buy all of their game. You you can't go and buy a second you know or, or use games. You you can't yeah. get discounted games. You can't do it. You buy everything through Sony. Sony should just be giving PS5s away if that were the case. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so an interesting thing to think about there. Joseph Mendoza wrote into us and said hello CNC. When the PS Classic was announced and there were tons of speculations as to which games were included and many people wanted a Tony Hawk game, I heard that it would be too difficult because of all the music licensing rights Sony would need to acquire. My question is, why would they need to acquire the rights again? Does the movie have to reacquire the rights to music every time they want to release it on a new platform or streaming service? Why doesn't the video game industry have the same contracts as the movie industry? Thanks for providing me with hundreds of hours of entertainment. Keep up the great work. This is something I've literally never thought of for some reason. Well, the answer is easy. It's because the we're not as mature. Uh, of an industry yet. So this was actually a problem during the VHS era and the Betamax era in the late 70s and early 80s and the Laserdisc era. This was something that movie studios had to consider because in the contracts, it wasn't necessarily covered. Like if you had a song from, you know, X, it would be like for distribution in cinema or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then so it's like, well, what the fuck do you do if you want to release it as a VHS? And so these were different things that they had to overcome. And so when Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk came out in 1999, I think it's been 10 years, 20 years. Now. Yeah. And so when so, they signed it, digital distribution wasn't in exist. And the contract might literally say this is for all disc based or cartridge based iterations of Tony Hawk up through 2002 or something like that. Like literally that might be what it says. And so they have to go back. And by the way, the the, the so just to, to cover that real quick. That's all covered now with modern games like they're not creating like there's all sorts of music in rage and there's all sorts of music in all these other games. And that's not going to be a problem because that's all covered now. But it wasn't necessarily covered back then. And if you're uh, offspring, for instance, and you have crazy taxi and, you, and your song is iconic from that game and you know that Sega is desperate to get that game. Well, what do you do? You raise the price. Yeah. You know, so now they're put in a difficult position. The funniest example of this, Chris, is the do you know the show The Wonder Years? I know. Yeah. So it's a really wonderful show for people that don't know, late 80s, early 90s. It's a show that takes place in the 60s and 70s about a kid named Kevin Arnold or whatever. And they had the the opening sequence was the Joe Cocker cover of the Beatles cover of Little Help for My Friends, 
right? And so they had permission to use that. And that's a great song. That's a that's actually a better song than the Beatles version, in my opinion. But yeah. then when they released this on streaming, they didn't have permission to use that version of the song. So now they have a cover of Joe Cocker's cover of, of the Beatles song as the intro song for Wonder Years on Netflix. Wow. And they have a shit ton of songs removed from the show because they don't have permission to use them. And the same thing happened in 90210, which I'm a huge fan of. 90210, <laughs> there's entire episodes of 90210 not available anywhere because they don't have the rights to use the songs in them anymore. Like if you go on uh, Amazon and look at 90210's like second season, for instance, like half the episodes are gone that's because insane. they literally cannot use them. So that's a long-winded way of saying they didn't know this was going to happen. So that's all solved then now. Yes. Really? Yes. How recently was that? For games, you're yeah. saying? Probably over the last five years or less, I would say. Yeah, I would say, because I remember, t- t- I think Grand Theft Auto 4 had like a similar thing. It was like, there was at least one song I know that they couldn't use. Yeah, I think again. they, I, I actually, Chris, want to say that I think they might have had like something like a 10-year expiry or something yeah. on all of the licensing. So again, you're, you, people are just, we're dealing in a new reality that people didn't anticipate. And, you know, you, you can't blame Rockstar for saying like, we don't want to shell out perpetuity licensing money. We don't. You know, at the time, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't assume this was going to happen. So now you cover it. So I hope that I don't know if that's a clear answer, but I, I, I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. So because that, I didn't know about that either. I, I was curious. I never even thought about it. So that's the problem. Yeah. So now everything's kind of covered. So there's no game being made now where this is going to be a problem. Final question, Chris, of the week. This might be the yeah, this might be one of the longest episodes ever, actually. Damn. Porik Devereaux, quite French, wrote in and said, Jason Schreier tweeted out today, the 11th, about Bethesda's treatment of the gaming press, calling it Trump-esque, which he says is fitting since there is a Trump family member on the board at ZeniMax. That's a bit of a left field take, don't you think? What's your take? So this, I wanted to bring this up to kind of, you know, palate cleanser at the end. This is the lull. This is the, even yeah, this is the, the lull moment for us. So Rage 2's Twitter account made fun of yeah. a Forbes writer in a very Rage 2-esque way. They're in character, I think. And Jason Schreier, Kotaku, who I like, and others gotten like real up at arms. Like, why are publishers being mean to game devs and or, or uh, rather to game media types and stuff? And I, I think that this particular thing was a weird take because I think it was just in character. Yeah, same. But I also have said before, and I really derive this from the Kingdom Come Deliverance experience in which the games media just completely attacked this game. Just ad nauseum. Yeah, it was forever. ridiculous. By the way, they got the last laugh because they sold their studio and now they're all millionaires. But anyway... I think that there's nothing for uh, nothing to lose. We were talking about what, what what does PlayStation have to lose in this situation? Well, I don't think PR and publishers have anything to lose being totally and openly adversarial to the games media. If I were a PR guy at Bethesda or Ubisoft or something, I'd be like, I think we might have something to gain by yeah. being dickheads, you know, yeah, yeah. because well, I don't think many people like these guys anymore. And Look at Kingdom Come Deliverance. Kingdom Come Deliverance sold a million, co- over a million copies in a few days, mostly because everyone was shitting on the game for not having people of color in it, right? And we've talked about that ad nauseum. You guys can go listen to that stuff. Yeah. But I think that this just reminded me of that. I think Jason Schreier really misfired on this. By the way, Donald Trump's brother really is on the board of ZeniMax. I went and looked that up because I was like, I didn't know that. That's so That's weird. That's true. I think his name is Robert. And... uh so he is there and he is on the board or whatever. But I thought it was a weird take because like, I guess it's like now Jason Schreier and everyone, not, they all believe in guilt by association. This man is now a bad person because he's brothers with Donald Trump. A little bit of a weird take. Yeah, it's it's a bit odd, especially given the context of what the game is and the marketing of the game, how it's presented itself up until now. 
Like, what, you going to take that seriously? Are you yeah. ser- What? Very strange. Calm down. Very, very strange. So uh, they I also would... used the tweet in the marketing. Did you see that? What'd you say? They also used the tweet in the marketing. Oh, did they really? Yeah, they had like a trailer. It's like they've been doing this marketing campaign where they take tweets from people and and uh, just make like a trailer off of it. Like, I'll be getting rage too unless they do something stupid. And it was just a highlight of all the like the stupid shit that they've done for the marketing. And the tweet was in there. Like, lol, who even are you? That's fucking awesome. <laughs> it was great. Good I was like, oh, I love that. They seem unapologetic. I like unapologetic kind of like. I like that. Me too. I don't know. I don't think you should be like blacklisting people like Kotaku's blacklisted by Bethesda. And I, I don't they've right. been blacklisted for years and I don't that's support a, that. That's a bit weird. So I'm not saying that that's cool. I'm not and saying it's that's one cool. thing to be like, <laughs> like constantly harassing people or like, you know, personally attacking people. But like, I don't know, this it's, it's pretty tame. But you have to wonder, like with Jason, you know, it was a little I mean, Jason's basically tweeting out saying like Bethesda hasn't even answered one of our emails in four years. And it's like, I wonder why, Jason. You know, but at the same time, I'm not supporting you guys getting blacklisted, but maybe when you bitch and whine about everything, have you read your site, by the way? Have you fucking read Kotaku recently? Yeah. It's awful. You know, so like it's it's just like, I don't know, man. I, I would be fucking throwing haymakers at these at IG, the IGNs and the game spots and the, just be, not necessarily because it's personal, but because if I'm marketing a game and my job is to sell games, I think that's going to sell some games. No, for sure. I bought Kingdom Home Deliverance. I've never played it. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it. I don't know why. I was just annoyed at seeing all those stupid stories. Well, you got your money to Warhorse before you would have gotten your money to THQ Nordic, who now owns Kingdom Come Deliverance. Ooh. Rip. Along with everything else. Chris, that's all I have. It's a long episode this yeah, time. Almost two hours long. Yeah. Well, we had a lot to get through. We did. And uh, yeah, there's no there's no sense in dragging this out any longer than it needs to be. No. Why? why <laughs> a long way. How long we got? Uh, it says an hour 57, but Dang. it's obviously going to be edited down. Yeah, for sure. So that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little fatigued. I'm a little, I'm a little uh, tired too. Yeah. I'm going to eat and smoke and die. Well, God willing. He'll be dead by the end of the day. I just keep tweeting things at game develop or uh, uh, rather games tweets at po- politicians, by the way. That's my new favorite thing. And yesterday, uh, Alexandra, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted something about global warming or something. And I tweeted at her. I'm like, maybe we should just fund NASA to just make a tractor beam to pull an asteroid towards earth and just pulverize the planet, you know? And then we, and then we can just be gone. We could drop rocks from the moon. Yeah. Thank you. Who said that? Brianna, Brianna, yeah, Brianna. super genius, <laughs> tactical, <laughs> tactical, brilliant mind. <laughs> so good. I still don't understand what the fuck that was supposed to be. First of all, the moon is like 250,000 miles also, away. You can't oh, drop something yeah. off a planet you can't, <laughs> or a planetoid. <laughs> But Holy moly! It's what I, I want to frame that too. I, I don't even. I just love the way that's phrased. I know it's awesome. It's amazing. Anyway, yeah, that's it. <laughs> we appreciate all of you supporting us. Remember, you can get every episode of the show three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon.com/slash Collins Last Stand. That's also how you submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show. If you don't want to be a paying subscriber and you want to be a freeloader instead, we still love and appreciate you. Please consider leaving us a nice review on iTunes or elsewhere. Tell your friends and family about the might, the majesty, and the wonder of sacred symbols. We'll see you next time for more. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. 
Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Geo Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Daniel Delanicos, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finn. Eric Finkenbeiner, Candler Four, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinzel III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Brian Nietzsche, Adam Nitsch, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, David Parkhurst, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Tony D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, Daniel Strycharsk, John Tambanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Jacob Turnbaugh, Phil Van Ralt, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Toothless Gibbon, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Donk 2015 and Gavin. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.